we're going to start this episode of Nerd with an introduction and a commercial. An intro-mercial, if you will. This episode's topic is about a hilarious giant comic character from New England. We're talking about The Tick. Specifically, Ben Edlund's initial 12-episode run for New England comics in the 1990s. We'll go all over the place with other iterations of The Tick and more. I can't tell you how much fun recording this supersized episode of Nerd was. But you know who else is also a hilarious giant comic that's from New England? That's right, Jeff May. He'll be returning to New England, holy cow, right now. So if you're listening to this show during February Vacation Week in Boston, apparently that's a thing, I guess, then you can check out Jeff May and Friends do a comedy show at Redemption Rock Brewing Company on 333 Shrewsbury Street in Worcester. I hope I said that right. The show will be on February 22nd, 2023, in case you're listening to this a year in the future. And doors will open, I believe, at 8, at least that's what it says on Eventbrite. Speaking of which, you can grab your tickets for a ridiculously low price on Eventbrite right now. And if you search for Jeff May, they're going to be the ones right at the top. You can also follow Jeff as Hey There Jeffro, that's spelled J-E-F-F-R-O, on Twitter, Instagram, and hey, now, YouTube. Jeff has also vowed that while he's in New England, he will visit a New England Comics location. So if you see someone that looks like Jeff May at one of New England Comics' five locations, you can say, hey, and it just might be him. You can find those at newenglandcomics.com. All right, time to end this intromercial, strap on our moth suits, and get ready to fight for justice. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another glorious episode of Nerd with Dre Alvarez and Jeff May. I am your co-host, Jeff May. Which makes me your other co-host, Dre Alvarez, found most places as Nerd Numbers. At How's it going, nerd. Jeff? Good, good, good. For those of you that, if you might be listening to this for the first time, Dre and Jeff, that's Dre, I'm Jeff. We are going to go a deep dive or a deep-ish dive into both the factual and personal histories of various nerdy things. I'm very excited to do this one. This was a great idea. So let's get some inside baseball into the weeds. So the way nerd works, as Jeff mentioned, deep dive into nerdy subjects. And because I'm a nerd, we're both nerds, Jeff. We're awesome nerds. We sure I like are. to do trilogies, right? So we yeah. do sets of three. So season one, if you haven't listened, go back and listen. What are you doing here? Was on video games. We did three classic Nintendo video games. Was awesome. Season two was made for TV specials. There was a holiday slant because we did it near December. But we also did Ewoks, the Battle for Endor. Thank you so much for watching that, Jeff. That shows <laughs> how much you love this show. This season it shows is how much I like you, Dre. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this isn't a season. This is a filler episode. Basically, we have season three in the works, which is going to be on collectible cards. And we'll talk about that. We'll let you do some voting. Yeah. Don't worry, fans. But we decided to do a filler episode. We had you all vote on this. And Jeff, this is one of those lessons to be learned as someone who tries to do clever things. Yeah. It's a very kid thing. You give your kid two options. This is an, I'm a parent. This is a known thing. You give your kids two options because you make your kid think they have autonomy, but you're tricking them. You say, hey, do you want a granola bar or do you want an apple? They're going to pick the granola bar. But you know, if you just offer them the granola bar, they might say, well, I want a candy bar. So that's the trick. Yeah. That's the way. We planned that. I said, we need a filler episode before season three because there's some stuff in the work on collectible cards, which I'll, we'll probably do in plugs at the end, which will be exciting. So I threw up the tick. And because the tick is so vast, I was like, let's keep it contained and let's just do the original comic. 
That's right. Which is very interesting because I know we had bandied about, we had talked about the tick at one point in time, and there are so many ways to access that character because the tick is obviously it started as a comic book and then Fox kids did the cartoon. And then you had Fox doing a one season, the Patrick Warburton show that we was one season, maybe two. It was yeah, uh, one. It did not and, and, and then Amazon did, did the Peter Serafinowicz episode like show. And we were like, could we do a season on the tick? And I was like, I think people would get burnt out. I disagree, but I'm also more than fine. So we're very new as a podcast and we're only monthly at the moment. It'll be nice in the future if we can do more of you subscribe to Jeff. This is on the free tier. So if you want more of this, go subscribe to patreon.com forward slash oh, yeah. Jeff May, which justifies more of this. So basically your logic was at a monthly show, there is so much tick that we would easily take, we could easily take up three months on the tick following the trilogy thing. But since we're only doing monthly, that's a lot of stuff. And we can put that off into the future. So we decided this was the easiest one-off episode. You suggested LCD gaming. And both of us were like, the tick's going to win. Yeah. Your fans are fucking nerds, Jeff. I'm dropping an F-bomb for that. They got into it. Yeah. That's the point of the show, I guess, right? Your Patreon subscribers are awesome. That wasn't just Patreon subscribers because I did open that up. Oh, you did open that up. Yeah. But within like a day, you got... Over 40 votes, and the choices were The Tick, the original Ben Edlund comic, and yeah. LCD games. These are these mm-hmm. little things that literally, they look like Rorschach tests. I will add, generally speaking, that that if you are a patron at patreon.com slash Jeff May, you do have a little bit more say in what gets produced even in the free stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, if LCD games had won, I would have been like, Jeff, this is rigged. All it of did. your free subscribers did it only count the real subscribers. And here's what's frustrating, Jeff. I'm willing to bet that your real subscribers would have come up because for a brief period of time, it was like 55% tick, 45%. It was close. Games. I was expecting 80-20 because as a comparable, when we did Muppet Family Christmas versus He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special, that was like two to one. I was expecting yeah. that kind of a ratio. And enough of your... We might have to do LCD games as a... Filler a future filler future. episode yeah if we need to break up seasons we do that on you don't even like sports a lot me and adam todd brown will we'll come up with because it's a lot harder plotting out seasons than you would think so sometimes we're like we need to put something out and so we will oftentimes be like let's do this there's this documentary that came out about this event let's cover that and or like let's cover this one guy or there's oh, not great for a whole season but we could do a quick one or something like that which again, exactly falls in that vein. Glad that The Tick won, which is good. And so that's what we're talking about. And so for those that don't know, The Tick is what started out as an indie, I think just as a promotion initially. So Ben Edlund, I think, drew this character called The Tick, I think for a newsletter. For, for, New for the New England Comics newsletter, which is why this is very important to me. It's from a Boston-based comic book chain. I've actually only been to New England Comics once because I wasn't close enough to get brought there. I was brought to That's Entertainment, which is, where I ended up working and also where I did buy my first Tick comic when I was young was that's entertainment in Worcester, Massachusetts. So in 1986, what you have is you have Ben Edlund. Now this is a name that's going to actually start holding some good work weight in Hollywood, especially today. He was 18 years old at the time. He was, he was a kid. He was an art student and he had sort of become ingrained, ingratiated with this, with, the comics and 86 was a big year for comics. When you think about the Dark Knight Returns, when you think about Watchmen, th- these are like very big deals. So he, they ask him to design, they're like, oh, do you want to do like a little mascot for our, 
newsletter, people were like, oh, we want more of this guy. And they started sort of publishing little stories in it as well as then creating a comic book in 1988. Yeah, so it starts out as a newsletter, as you're saying, mascot. And then it actually gets published as a comic. And this is very meteoric. So it lasts 12, 12 episodes, which we'll definitely talk. <laughs> episodes, um, right? Yeah, right. And then he goes on to TV, makes one of the greatest animated TV shows ever. It's in my opinion, it's the, it is the best children's cartoon of all time. Although I will give the feedback, Jeff, that you've kind of given to like, Batman, the animated series, it does, some parts of it are rough. I think, I think it's budget got cut. This is a, are you talking about season three? Yeah. So I think a standard thing that happens with something successful is people just want sustained success. And so the tick reaches this, like as the cartoon reaches a certain level of popularity. And I think it basically plateaus. And unfortunately in corporate America, the trick is like, if we want to keep increasing our profits and there is no more growth, what do we do? And you go, what if we pay less for it? So I, the quality in season three definitely degraded. Okay, in terms of like so, animation. so here's a peek behind the curtain on that. Mm -hmm. A lot of it has to do with toy sales. If a show is not selling enough toys, it does not continue. If it's a children's show. Famously, Young Justice was canceled because kids didn't buy the toys. They the were toys. also, here's what, and I always push back because I always get a little worried because I think sometimes in decisions, People have this belief that corporations know what they're doing with something successful. And I don't believe that's the case. Something Young Justice did amazingly well was have a really diverse cast and both male, female had a lot of really good female characters. It handled and, relation. It handed, it handled parental relationships very well too. Did that and as well. teen relationships. Exactly. It was. And so what I'll say is the annoying line that I just bristles me the wrong way about that show was like, girls don't buy toys. And I'm fine going, I don't believe you marketed them correctly. And I think that's been the case. I mean, we saw that with like He-Man and She-Ra as well. And I think that a lot of big corporations, even when they have good IPs and have a market that might have demand for the product, don't know how to reach that. But you're saying that happened with the tick. You're saying yeah, the tick. Uh, yeah. So I think that's a part of it. I think the part, I mean, there were toy lines. There was two. So like with the tick action figures, there were two seasons or two runs of the tick toys. I believe there was a 12 inch tick like a big bounding talking tick. There were there were little versions of the talking guys. They were a great little toy line. And I have a few of them myself. And you can actually see right yeah. behind me, I have a couple lined up. They had little PVC figures and stuff. It wasn't bad. It's just the show, the tick being on Fox Saturday mornings is weird because it is, it's the Simpsons level without the oh, as well, far okay. as like the brilliance of the writing is concerned it is because i've watched it i've rewatched the tick recently and i'm like this holds up so much better than batman the animated series because while we're, while batman the animated series had kind of a lot of not great episodes i couldn't count on one hand or i could count on one hand the bad or the episodes that i'm like eh with the tick, I genuinely think that they've held up really well. And that stands to the writing. So let's actually talk a little bit about like how we both got into the tick, because here's what's yeah. interesting. I got into it via the cartoon. Yes. And this is an interesting thing in hindsight, wherein the way I got into like the cartoon and stuff was adults that I knew that were really nerdy. I had Mr. Fisher and Rich Henderlight. I'm going to throw them both out. I'm going to use both their names in part because it's been forever and they don't have like massive online presences. Both awesome people, both huge parts of my childhood. Rich Henderlight was this massive, he was German in origin, massive guy, looked like he belonged in Highlander. Incidentally, yeah. one of the things we would talk about was Highlander. He was awesome. 
And because yeah, he was Kurgan. Yeah. yeah, he pretty well with a much nicer voice, much cooler guy. But anyway, so they both would talk to me about nerdy stuff. They're why I got into a lot of nerdy things. And they both loved the tick. And this is kind of why, right? It's a Fox Saturday morning cartoon. And I have two adults that know a lot of stuff that are just like, this is an amazing show. This has amazing jokes. They're the reason I got into the tick because you have these adults. I think it was probably third or fourth grade at that time when it was on Fox. I got into, that's how I got into it. And then eventually went backwards and found the comics and like, People might not remember this, but like because the tick was indie, there were multiple runs. So I remember you wanted the original artwork one, but I would get the ones with like the yellow border or the red border on the front because the only ones my comic shop would have, this was pre like eBay too. Yeah. If I wanted to go pick up tick comics, it was like whatever my comic shop had, and it might only have the second or third run. So that's well, how that's, I got into the tick. That's actually very important to know though, is that New England Comics does something that no other comic book company does. They None. keep the tick None of in print at all times. So if you want to get the tick number one right now from New England Comics, you can get their most recent version of the tick number one. That is a 34, 35-year-old comic. They still keep it in print. This seems very much like uh, another thing. is like Wonder Woman. I know the writer of Wonder Woman, one thing he did is he said, DC can keep the rights, but she has to stay in print. And a New England Comics, I actually looked this up, their website is still up. Their website looks straight out of 1995, but it's there with stores you can go to, tick merchandise you can buy. Yep, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's great. I've been to their booth. I've been to their booth at San Diego Comic-Con more than I've been to their store. I've met Ben Endland there. We can talk about that later if you want. They are a place that hit a very wonderful stride with the tick. The tick is something that keeps being attempted in media. I would, by the way, I got to take this off rent briefly. I've got to say Amazon nailed it. That is a perfect two seasons of television. I am so furious. It is, it's interesting because I'm furious it's gone. It's also like, because it's gone after two seasons, it exists in perfection. That those two seasons back to back, absolutely amazing. It's, but this is also a good example of why Amazon is a very bad company. Because they're like, because they, there are high quality shows that they are producing which then if they do not get the specific amount of views, no matter how good it is, and I guess it's all streamers in there because it's a business, but like they don't give chances the way other streamers have been. Although HBO, (laughs) HBO is retroactively taking back chances, but like with Amazon, there was like Van Johnson was a great in that class of stuff that was coming out. Van Johnson was a pretty perfect show. The tick was really great. The tick got lucky to get a second season and then we're like, and we're done. It was uh, it was great. I do stand by going back to the 1994 with the tick. I was I loved the tick cartoon. It debuted in September of 1994. My 13th birthday was October 18th, 1994. So we're talking what, 6 weeks? 6 weeks after the premiere of the tick cartoon, my stepmom took me to the comic shop and that's where I bought my first tick comics. So within well, 6 what, what first Karma Tornado. Okay, and this is interesting because I don't know this one. So is that a collection of the original one or is it? No. So the Tick Karma Tornado is a second series. So the Tick Karma Tornado, I can screw it. I'll bring it up now. So this is the trade. The first comic that I got was the Karma Tornado number two. So if you see, I'm holding up the trade. It's nine issues and it's basically Tick's version of like interacting with various Marvel Univar, Univi. 
Universe. We'll give it to you, Jeff. Universe. And it's obviously like it's not Ben Edlin is busy working on he's working on the show at this point in time and he's farming out the tick. This one right here, you'll notice, and I've got it on camera here. Okay, pull ben it back Edlin. just a little so we can see the this what's amazing. You got a sketch from is that is the bottom left? Is that a sketch from him? That's a remark. A remark is in a on a comic book cover or something like that. A remark is adding art to the art. So you're like, it's very common in the comics world that if you, if somebody, an artist is signing a cover that they worked on or a comic book that they worked on, they might do a little Spider-Man drawing on it or something like that. That's called a remark and it supposedly increases the value. But I did want to clarify that little tick face in the bottom. Yeah. That's new. That wasn't, I mean, you said remark. I thought you mean like maybe trace. Yeah. This was from 2019. So this was Ben Edlin drew this in Sharpie. So I bought this off of Ben Edlin specifically. Ben was the one that was in the booth. And I said, I want this. I was like, this was the first Tick comic that I bought. I fell in love with it. I loved it so much. It means the world to me. I would love to buy this. And he was like, oh my God, that's so nice of you. And I bought it. So you, you see that there's like the inside indicia and a drawing of the Tick with a T-Rex about to bite him or eat him. And then it's like the Tick head and it just says Keen. And it's a quick little head sketch. I'm obviously not going to sell this value having a sketch inside that doesn't really increase the value so much. It's just very important to me. So the Karma Tornado starts out like Secret Wars, kind of, where a bunch of different people from each planet have to compete against each other. But the thing is that those people are taken from different points in time. So like Team Earth is like the Tick, Abe Lincoln, Cleopatra a T-Rex okay. and it's all these like very different. And there's like a future person I believe in there as well. And that's something that happens like all these different, and they basically have to compete in like shitty space Olympics, but then it gets into this thing where like he gets, he becomes a herald for a type of a Galactus and it just, it starts going because the tick is a parody. So one of the things that I think people really sort of harp on the 80s for, I think rightfully so, in the comics of the 80s, is that they decided that there was going to be this dirty, hairy, anti-hero vigilantism that has still now plagued pop culture when you think of like the popularity of the Punisher. And when he was created, they were like, well, he wasn't supposed to be like popular like that. They get like, when you hear Jerry Conway, he's like, we didn't, this wasn't the intent of this character at all. But they're like, did you not get that Spider-Man's the hero? This yeah. guy is the villain. We put a giant skull on him. You get yeah. that we're not a prove it. A serial killer, right? <laughs> and you had that, you know, the Ninja Turtles, obviously Teenage Mutants references the X-Men, the ninjas aspect, very Daredevil based. We know that historically speaking, I think it's, well-known canon that the goo that blinded Matt Murdock is the same goo that turned the turtles into the, what we know them as. I had not, I mean, that makes, because I mean, obviously you've got like Splinter no. versus Stick. You've got the hand, the foot. It's very clearly referencing Daredevil. That's oh, not yeah. even a question, but that, that makes sense. Yeah, in the first issue, you see the other canister that flies off the truck goes down the sewer. Okay, so <laughs> on the tick, so we're talking like our introduction, our stuff with that, how it's of a parody kind of grows in. So you and I both entered it through the cartoon, the cartoon. it sounds like. Although I'm curious, I think, one, you're a year older than me, and I think you might have been more into comics. So were you more tapped into comics at that point and a little older? Because I think that's kind of the appeal. Is so that yes, I was because like 1994, I had been like really into comics starting around 1991 or not. Like I had gotten comics before, but like I think every kid did. 
at some point in time, but most kids went away from it. I kept going. And then it was interesting because comics weren't unpopular. Obviously, they were like a phenomenon at this time. But cartoons, like I was, because I'm turning 13, that's seventh, eighth grade at this point in time. There weren't a lot of my friends watching Saturday morning cartoons anymore. They thought they were too old for it. I mean, not, excuse me, my my co-students. My friends and I were the ones that were watching the cartoons. And we were a small, nerdy minority. If you want to X-Men and, you know, at 13. Oh, X, I was old. in yeah. sixth grade. X-Men was huge among everybody in my school. Yeah, like that but, show was amazing. But when you're in eighth grade and uh, ninth not grade. not age, but was amazing. Yeah. So I went and picked this book up and I liked the Karma Tornado. The Karma Tornado, the personification of the tick is much more in line with the way the character has evolved to be this well-meaning, nigh-invulnerable simpleton. We're going to talk about him in the comics when you reread them. And it's jarring when you read the original 12 issues. And by the way, we're gonna, we're, this is going to be the multiverse of Tick, I'm sure we're gonna go all over the place, but let's start on universe zero, universe one. I'm a programmer, we, we start with zero, Jeff. Um, let's do it. That's what we do. But we're gonna talk the original Bed Endland run of the first 12. So if you haven't read the original Tick comic, it's uh, you can buy, as, as Jeff mentioned, New England Comics has those in print still, Amazon, if yep. you want, one day has them. It was hilarious when we were discussing this pre-show, this is how much of a nerd you are. And how much of a nerd I am. As you said, I said, do you have the, do you have the comic just if you need it for reference? And you said, yeah, I have it. I think it's in three parts. And what I assumed was that you were like me with some of my graphic novels when I was younger and you just read it so much that the spine broke. That I had broken it apart. That it, you three. had broken it into three parts. And I was like, Jeff, I'll buy you a new tick. You can, don't be reading a, a old worn out tick for this. And you're like, I bought all the different trades of the tick. I, you have like three including stuff like I have not read Karma Tornado because I'm looking up some of like the Tick's backstory. There's some other stuff that's revealed that's in other stuff like he was married. That doesn't show up in the original 12 runs. That shows up in some of the other stuff. That yes. is gorgeous. So what we have here, this is this is the, t the Tick. It's called The Naked City. It reprints the Chroma Tick. And the Chroma Tick is just the Tick in color. So I have my first six issues in color. Then when you look at Omnibus 2, excuse me, with Man-Eating Cow on the cover, which is a very funny idea to have there. And that contains, and I'm just making sure because it has it ticks 7 through 10, as well as a monochrome, meaning just black, white, and red, sort of ash can comic of Red Eye, which is the nice. EC horror style comic that, that he kind of reads at one point in time. And then we have the final quote, Omnibus, which is a very funny way to describe it, which is only the last two issues, 11 and 12, which is sort of the Barry saga. That and it doesn't, here. and it did get capped off. So yeah, we'll get to that. So basically yeah. calling a book an Omnibus when it only has two issues I and it is it. very funny. And then there's sort of what we call the, I believe it's called the pseudo tick, which is issue 13, which is a possible way it would have went. But because it's not written and drawn by Ben Edlund, it's not considered the official canon of the Tick series. And it's worth noting that that's just a reset. So yeah. the way the it, Tick starts. It's also worth noting, by the way, that the cover of the Tick Omnibus Volume 3 is the Tick fighting multiple Santas. That's the That was the cover of what 13 was. Yeah. It's so they put the cover of 13 on something that it's not a part of. That's... I don't know. That's my kind of jam for hilarious stuff. 
All right. But we're going to just talk the original 12. So we're not talking the stuff that was in New England comics before. We might talk some of the other stuff that you're aware of. We'll definitely talk some of the other properties. But tick number one, we're given some of his backstory. And again, this isn't a response. Tick starts out in an asylum. We, I think in the notes, are revealed to have been told that he was found wandering in the Rocky Mountains speaking French. Tick decides that justice or destiny is calling him. This is a well-known part of like the Tick's character that does persist throughout, which is almost like hears voices in his head, says things like destiny is calling him, whatever. Yeah, he narrates himself, which I think is great. There are some, as we're going through this too, there are some very fascinating art choices. First off, Ben Edlund is a fantastic artist. It's ridiculous how he was at 18. He was very talented. I think at this time, gee, upon publication, he would have been closer to 20. If Because if he was 18 and 86 and this was published in 88, we're getting closer to that. It's also not the consistent style because as he takes breaks, you can see that he's cultivating his own style and it sort of shifts away from more of like the aping what is current at the time. And then he starts shaping in and exaggerating his characters a little bit more. You see it when you look at like, how people were drawn in issue one versus how they're drawn in issue 12 and the exaggeration is much more intense. My favorite, I think, little embellishment of this comic, and it's something that I find to be brilliant and infuriatingly good for something from someone so young. Sound effects are onomatopoeia in a way that the sound effect is a description of what is happening. So like if you hear the radio, if it looks like the radio is sounding and you see the little sound waves coming off, like the sound effect will say radio sounds. And I think that's just a brilliant use of sound effects. Instead of doing your pop bang pow stuff, it literally is a form of exposition, which I think is just a brilliant choice on account of Edlund. He's good. And then he does other clever stuff. I know you put something on your Instagram as you were clearly reading last night of like, he'll shift the focus. Like if the character's upside down, the text bubble goes upside down. If the yes. character's behind a window, the text is behind the window. He's so damn clear. Like that's he's the thing. He's the brilliant. So good. And the writing is so good. And so, he did this at 20. Yes. So the comic theoretically like the theory of the comic and i mean it is literally this but the theory of the comic was this is a parody of comic books but also the execution is a parody of comic books and the idea that like if he's standing behind a window pane the word bubble is obscured by the window pane that adds a level of understanding deconstructing and reconstructing a medium that would make scott mcleod lose his mind. Scott McCloud famously wrote Understanding Comics, which does is a whole breakdown of the comics medium. It's brilliant. It's if you've never read Understanding Comics, it's one of the best things you can read. It's so great. But so by Ben Edlund basically taking the concept of superheroes and comics, taking them they're built of Legos, he takes them all apart and rebuilds them with the same ingredients but in such a fascinatingly different way that it is this meta parody that is fascinating. It is also, however, and this is important to know that the earliest issues, like, and even most of the issues here are jarring from an attitude perspective. 
as opposed to what you probably are familiar with the versions of the tick that you've seen in media. Yeah. As an example, in the Amazon show, which I think was done perfectly and the tick voice has been found, which is this big blue, I'm going to take this off ramp because we might not get to talk about it if we don't, Jeff. What do you think the tick is in the Amazon show? Because obviously they very briefly are like maybe his hallucination. And then I saw the theory, which makes too much damn sense, which is that he is a superpower of Arthur's and that he is basically like a manifestation of a defender. I actually, I I try not to, because I famously dislike fan theories. I famously rally against them because I feel, and I know some people are like, it's fun, but I think it also ruins the fun for people. Like if you get on a roller coaster and some, and you're like, Ooh, this is going to be thrilling. And somebody's like, don't be thrilled by it because what's going to happen is it's going to look like you're about to hit a wall. And then right as you're about to hit the wall, it actually goes in reverse and you go backwards. I am describing the mummy ride on universal, by the way, that's not fun for me to have somebody who might have this inside information tell me, oh, you have no reason to be thrilled or enjoy this thing because here's the reality of it or here's the theory, whatever behind it. So with fan theories, one of the reasons I like The Last Jedi so much is because it destroyed so many fan theories that people had been working on for so long that I was like, that's that is exactly my kind of media. So I actually am. I don't project what I think is the reality of that show. And I actually prefer, I choose to willfully ignore it to allow the storytellers to play with it more and to it's, I don't try to steer the roller coaster. So I purposefully remove myself from having those theories. You also look disgusted as I oh, was saying I've got, that, I've got so, no, actually, by the way, sometimes people misinterpret my facial thing. Cause I am fascinated, excited. You're a boxer. Like this is for me. I'm like, I'm getting excited. I did high school speech or debate in high school. I said high school. She get out of town. I know. Shocker, right? But what I was going to say is, first off, the most funny thing, the reason I was kind of like looking more perplexed would be the term I was going for, is one of the only pieces of YouTube content we had, by the way, the YouTube channel is growing. We have a Jeff Has Cool Friends episode scheduled every day for at least the next month and a half is the current plan right. to not overwhelm the algorithm. So if you're listening to this for free and for whatever reason you don't subscribe to Jeff's RSS or on iTunes or your platform of choice, you can go to YouTube now, which I some yeah, people like to consume fun. their media there. So yeah, if you haven't listened to, you've been doing this for two years, Jeff, your Jeff has cool friends from two years ago, that stuff's all going up on YouTube. Check it yeah, out. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get that. Let's get that stuff back up there. But I guess what you're, but, gonna, but, you, but, you're but. about to tell me that I'm being a hypocrite when I, from what I Not said. Not a hypocrite. I'm, it's more the last thing we did was in a Star Wars episode in the middle, you randomly were like, story-wise, it would make a whole lot of sense for this. And I'm saying the same. I'm like, story-wise, if we're asking what the tick is in the Amazon show, doesn't okay. this make sense? Even with the breadcrumbs the show is provided. As an example, in the Amazon show, Arthur has a flashback and his nightlight, which is blue, is talking to him in a voice like the tick. And we've been told that he has hallucinations. So when he's in an adult and the tick shows up, He's like, you're not real. You're not real. And other people say, hey, he's real. And his sister, spoilers in the show, also gets superpowers. So to me, it makes a whole lot of sense to go, actually, this family, for whatever reason, is superpowered. Arthur's superpower is to project the tick. Dot superpower is to see into the future. It just fits in storyline. Very much like your amazing, great video. Go check it off on the <laughs> Hey There, Jeffro YouTube channel. Is Noah Commando from Ewoks the Battle Friend? Or that I, is, I think it's in the same vein, Jeff, is all I'm saying. That you're not. That's fair. That is fair. Okay. And yeah. then the last I, comment I mean, I was... it's a good theory. 
like here's the thing is i don't know that theory because whenever somebody's like fan theory i'm like i'm out and but i guess that's somebody trying to solve the puzzle yeah, with that that's... ewoks thing i was like here's a dead media that sucks let's try to fit it in and so, i guess i see that as a little bit different like so like, from, let's from, see from how the they two of us i'm like here is this thriving new thing maybe there's a there's something cool to solve in it you're like no don't do that no. you're like here's a dead thing no one cares about it like I just, go to the ga gamefully unemployed network go listen to tom and jeff watch batman amazing co-host with dave bell right now where you're deconstructing old super friends episodes which are terrible no one go watch those so, no I, one every, the people that are watching along are driving me crazy because i'm like don't do this to yourself but you're doing the same thing that you're like i will gladly exert the puzzle solving aspect of my brain on these horrible things no one should ever watch but if you should watch it Turn it off, which is that's, that's my job. Just, that's well, that's a job, though. So when it comes to consuming media for entertainment purposes, I try very hard to switch my brain off because most of my job is consuming media and sort of like reporting on it with the specific slant that I have had pretty much my whole life. And I've found a way to monetize that. Right. Which is really great. And so when I'm watching shows like the X-Files or when I'm watching shows like obviously we could talk about super friends i'm my job is to do critical analysis in the funniest way possible like that's my job same thing with you don't even like sports i'm analyzing sports but with a humorous slant right with you don't even like sports i call it 30 for 30 if it was funny yeah. now when it comes to me watching stuff for entertainment i don't like seeing the scenes i don't want the peek behind the curtain i want to be like doom patrol which r.i.p i love watching doom patrol and when you see an obvious story beat take or like it happens with pennyworth which i really i love Pennyworth. I'm praising that show a lot it's yeah. so wild when you see something that's very clear you're like oh someone's about to die and you're like damn it i wish i didn't know that i know this person is about to die because of the way they've scripted it and the way it fits the very specific narrative of how these shows go. I hate that. I like being surprised by media. I like not having to pontificate on what the, like, I like seeing meaning and I like seeing the art and I like seeing, oh, that character's walking through a lit doorway that they're, that character's representing a Christ parable or something like that. Like when you see that, you're like, okay, I see what they're doing and I enjoy that. But when I see the map, I prefer not to scratch oh, too hard at the surface when, I'm, when it's for my own enjoyment. And what's funny is we're actually repeating one of my like favorite arguments that Richard Feynman, Nobel Prize winning physicist wrote about, where he is discussing with an artist as a scientist about like, if science ruins art. And he's kind of saying like an artist will say like this flower is beautiful, but all you see is like the photosynthesis and how it evolved to like attract bees and birds to it, and whatever. And Richard Feynman's arguing, he's like seeing out of their stuff makes it more beautiful. That's an entire other podcast, but I do yeah. think it's funny revisiting that we revisiting that topic with the same take where I'm like seeing the seams Jeff can make it, especially if they're so, like bed Enlid, so well done makes it for me even more enjoyable or seeing like plausible stuff storylines that could be there yeah that What's, even if they're not explained i'm like this is so laid out that i'm able to fill in the gaps of this story that isn't completely told because it shouldn't be right like a lot of times in stories like the tick if yeah. the tick shows up and has no memory and arthur's doing this and they're talking to each other there is no way to fill in that gap without a narrator and that ruins things so you don't want to do it 
but you still want the universe. So you have the to tick self narrating. But I mean, again, the tick, if he has no memory, can't self narrate what happened in Fair a way. Enough. And yeah. he's an unreliable narrator too, which is an excellent yes. point, right? So from an in universe thing, it would spoil it to tell us everything, but it, you still have to set up the universe such that someone watching it doesn't lose the suspension of disbelief, which they yep. do really well. So but anyway, let's get back to the actual tick. So comic. in the tick comic, so what you'll notice on the thread, because we're on the first issue, and what you'll notice in the first issue is this is not the tick that you are probably familiar with. He's a bit more of an annoying jerk that happens to have these powers. Like, like as I was reading these, rereading them, really, I was like, I forgot how much of a prick he is in the beginning. Like, he's an annoyance, whereas... In the cartoon, he's this doofy force of nature that is always well-meaning, but he's actually a pest in the first couple of episodes, excuse me, issues. There's a, it's basically, if you want to par parody superheroes, let's go with the big guy first. And it's basically a two-issue parody of Superman. Yeah. And what I was going to, it's interesting, and the whole reason I got down that fan theory is that the tick that we kind of love that was in the cartoon and later in the other iterations of the show is this big lovable buffoon that kind of like his superpowers, of course, nigh invulnerability, but it's also just kind of like the unyielding optimism, right? This guy exists in this universe that's supposed to be a parody of all the gritty ones. And so all the other people are like dark and gritty, or even like when we run into Superman, same 80 slant is more realistic. And the Amazon show is corporate. And this one, he's just kind of a jerk as well. I think, so event I think in this one, it's just he's pushed to his limits. It's not that he's a bad person. It's that he's the regular Superman that is being annoyed to the point of snapping. Hick is serving as his behavioral kryptonite. Ooh, that's oh, good one. Which, which I think is great. But yeah, so the initial, like the eventual tick that we get to that we know and love is this unyielding, positive, non-vulnerable source of joy. But initial tick, I, I don't know if it was directly Wolverine, but it seems in the same timeline, right? Because the Wolverine was the gruff, anti-hero guy but whatever at that point had just like wasn't supposed to be popular and was taking off popularity and the original tick feels very much like the wolverine storyline of this like he's a superhero but he's very abrasive kind of doesn't remember where he came from yeah. and keeps falling into adventure it's the kind of these the first couple of issues are the kind of surface parody that you would see from a 20 year old like he's brilliant, but also it they're they're the first couple issues are relatively sophomoric in the actual parody. And you can see as he gets his footing that there's like more of a tooth to the parody as it continues moving. So forward. let's talk about some of the easy parodies. So the easy parody is Tick's guy with no memory, mental institution escapes. Yeah. That's a pretty rote superhero it's, thing. He's essentially it's he's crazy. Like the real world views this man as a crazy person. Which doesn't even see, yeah, he does talk to himself. Later we see he has like hallucinations. Well, his, he, thinks, he uses a view master as his like crime computer, which at first you're like, oh, so this person is wild. But then there's a flash of the fact that view master actually does what it says it, what he says it does, where Arthur picks up the view master and the first thing he sees is crime information. And then he blinks and it's a dinosaur. But yes, he is crazy. He's being called to the city. So the first episode basically is going to set up his first first two sets of adventures. One is he see, he inadvertently stops a hostage situation with a ninja master. So that happens. He also has some of the jokes that persist through other things. So he runs into someone 
and very TV trope stuff. The guy's like, hey, are you that guy who escaped from a mental, the mental institution? And he just like thinks for a while. I was like, no. Yeah. After like four panels, it's done beautifully. Like it's done like over four panels. And then also- A brilliant the, hey, way to save time as an artist too. Oh, nice. And then also the guy's like, your name's the tick. You don't look like a tick. The tick has hey, Why are legs. you blue instead of brown? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you suck blood? He tried now- it, so there, there's a couple parts to that. There, there's stuff in there, though, that you're glossing over some interesting parody there, which is the reason that they say, why are you blue instead of brown? The answer to that is because superheroes were wear primary colors in the comics. Like, superheroes don't wear brown. When you look at when you look at all of the comics, right? When you look at almost all systems of heroes, Marvel and DC, we'll use them as the primary examples. Heroes, primary colors, blue, red, yellow. Villains or anti-heroes or like problems are secondary colors. Purple, green, orange. So interesting. Like I know Wolverine's initial costume was brown and he got switched to yellow. No, it wasn't. It was yellow. His it original was costume was yellow. I thought it was, oh, wait. So wait. So what happens when he gets switched to that costume? It is brown. He he gets switched. He, to he brown. goes to the brown. So Chris Claremont and John Byrne are the ones that bring him to brown. He was originally yellow, blue, and black. Oh, yeah. So he, the one where he fights the Hulk initially. Although Hulk 181. like a villain yeah. there, yeah. Yeah. Weird. All right. I got he's brought in as, as a government operative. So that way he's like, oh, this guy's a hero and he's wearing yellow. Whereas the Hulk, even though it's his comic, isn't what you would classify as a hero in a lot of his stuff. He's considered a, a bit of a villain. Green and purple. Green Goblin. Green and purple. Spider-Man. Red. Like Superman. Blue, red, and yellow. Lex Luthor. Green and purple. Like it's the Joker, green and purple, right? Batman were blue, gray, and yellow, generally speaking. So like, I, I look like I've just broken a code for you in comics. I'm just laughing at the Jeff. Like, I don't like seeing behind the curtain. No, I like and, the artistic it, parts of it. I've told you that the, though. I like the, the artistic thing, stuff. Though. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because some things are artistic choices and some things are plot cheats or like when people like theories like i get that and and seeing them and build, developing your theory is one thing but i just like to see them play out but knowing how the sausage is made is not necessarily saying having somebody tell you how the sausage tastes before you eat it i'm gonna have to use it they're the same picture with pam but i want to keep that's I fine keep going that's okay, okay so. <laughs> but but so th there's a ch there's a chance for a meta joke that he skips and I don't know why, but when the guy asks him why he's blue instead of brown, and I think he just kind of shrugged because he's talking to like, no more talking, I'm getting bored with you. So he immediately just discards that question and moves along. The immediate next part of that, he finds himself in the Nighthawks painting. It's that famous diner painting where there's three people at a late night diner and oh, yeah. one guy working there. He's literally in there, right? He's in there hanging out and the people are like, wait, you're a tick? Like, you know suck blood do you and he takes the straw which they eventually take into the into the cartoon as well what i love about the comic book is seeing what they do and don't use in the cartoon and how they change it and that leads into episode two how do you know i he, don't he black he blacks out attempting to suck aaron from the straw which definitely the tick superpower is very nebulous right because he's seemingly undestructible but then he nigh invulnerable no invulnerable which is a running gag Oh, and then by the way, like the miss of the obvious parody is he's trying to gallivant through the city, leap from rooftop to rooftop. And that's the obvious thing is you're making the joke of, 
okay, if you have someone that tries to do that, what happens if there's nothing there? And he tries to grab a flagpole and falls to the ground. Yeah. That's another thing that persists pretty often. With same He destroys every part. Like when you see him jumping, and they brought this into the cartoon as well, that every time he leaps from building to building, he destroys the top lip of the building. Because he just, yes. he's just bounding his way through destruction. And it's just wonderful. All right. So he passes out from trying to suck air through a straw to prove that he could suck blood if needed. He winds up like we don't know how, but he winds up in front of a train. And this is perfect, which leads us into our next parody, which is just Superman. And issue two, curious because you're saying, right, this is definitely like the surface level parody because he basically runs into the 1980s, the Christopher Reeves Superman. And just the silliness of that universe and then how they overlap, which is yeah. pretty funny for episode two, which really happens is Superman sees this person fall in front of a train, says, oh, no, I'm going to have to, I might ha risk exposing my identity and tries to jump in front of the train to save him, except the tick doesn't need saving. He gets up and they both just get hit by a train. Yeah, um, and the tick's kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he th oh, the tick thinks he's in the belly of a whale, doesn't he? Yeah, I think that's what he says initially, because he wakes up and it's just all dark. And, and then the he go to he, is I'm yeah, in the yeah, belly you know, of a whale, of course. And then, of course, he realized it's not hard for him to realize, hey, if I survive getting hit by a train, you survive getting hit by a train. You a superhero. I think his costume might be showing because like his shirt's ripped. Yeah. And Clark, I think it's it's the, it's the how see through is your disguise aspect of Superman that I think everybody's made the jokes about, which is like Superman would immediately be discovered as Superman. Which is something you joke a lot with, with Tom Ryman on Tom and Jeff Watch Batman because Superman shows up in a lot of those shows as well, including does. including the recent Super Friends, Jeff. My, oh, God, condolences, my condolences. But anyway, so he realizes that Clark Kent, I think it's Oppenheimer in the comic book, is Superman. Yeah, and get it? He's Robert Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, yeah. It's the man of nuclear energy, basically. A man of untold, terrifying power. Worked with Richard Feynman. Anyway, he follows him to the Daily Planet, essentially. And it's making fun of the tropes. He goes, I have to go in disguise. And he just buys a tie, which he says is hip, his hypnotic tie. And the hilarity, right? This is just the universe where, to some people, him just saying, hey, I'm a normal reporter. I've got a tie. It works like Terry at the Daily Planet versus the Jimmy Olsen stand and going, I completely realize that you are not who you say you are, which is, of course, absurd going, well, no, duh. You realize yeah. that it's a big blue guy. Explaining a joke. Sorry, Jeff. Anyway, it, it has very <laughs> chicken boo energy. Do you remember that on Animaniacs? Oh, Animaniacs is great too. Yeah. So there was that character Chicken Boo that was like great at everything. And there was always, and everybody was like, ooh, Boo is the best. And there was always one guy that was just like, he's a fucking chicken, man. How are we not seeing that he's a fucking chicken? And then yeah, it's the a, end, it's it would different. be revealed that he's a chicken and everyone's shocked. And the other the person is always like, what did I tell you? Yeah, it's a pretty rote joke. The It's obvious this thing doesn't belong here, but the universe isn't going to acknowledge it, which is a yeah. lot of parts of comics. He gets a job at the Daily Planet writing the crossword puzzle. He's just beautifully. What is it? It's Pabst and like Glurpfla or something. Yeah, like he, just, he just blow, He just screws up the whole thing, yeah. At some point, he finds Clark's, the little crystals that show up in the movie for the Fortress of Solitude, inadvertently creates one. This is the point where you're talking about like him being a jerk. So Clark's really upset with him. I keep saying Clark, even though I forget his name in the comic book. Yeah. So he goes out to the parking lot and says he's going to do something nice for Clark and remakes his car into an ashtray, at which point Clark just snaps, is completely destroying the tick, like obviously Superman would defeat the tick. 
and the tick breaks his glasses. Jimmy comes in and Clark has to do upside. You got yeah, he does that, like right? the nerd thing. I'm yeah. surprised. I'm surprised you didn't like take a picture of that because that's your thing, right? The, Mike like, Dexter doing that, yeah, upside down. So Clark's doing that to not give up his disguise to Jimmy, and at that point, the tick uh, runs out and is like, "Oh man, Superman's weird." Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things too where it's like the tick is he's such an annoyance that like causing Superman to snap is, I think, the thing that's very very good and the point of the parody is like what if we made a character so annoying that even superman doesn't have the patience for him and it's good it's of course if you're doing a parody you should do the biggest thing which is super superman i think at that point in time john byrne may have just started the eight he might have done that reboot the superman reboot that we were sort of familiar with that post-crisis era so Superman's really that's, big. I think I actually bought like issue number one when they were trying to like retcon a lot of stuff, right? There's only one kryptonite or whatever. I bought issue one of that at a comic book convention, I remember, when they were trying to like, after I think Crisis, not Crisis, is it Crisis, crisis on Infinite It was Earth? after yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I think it was Man of Steel was the yeah. one that John Byrne did to sort of restructure that character. So like, obviously, go after what the biggest thing is. It's Superman. These first two issues, they are... They're decent. They're the worst two issues, I think, of the series. The two parts I would give you is one, it's jarring from what you're saying. We're used to a certain tick. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't like this guy. And second, the parody episode of number two, I mean, with how steeped we are in now, including having shows like The Boys and The Tick that are parodies too, done much better. It's like, we've seen this. So that's you and I have talked this a lot about nostalgia in general. It's like, when you go back in time and see stuff that is now just wrote, you're like, okay, I can appreciate what that was in that time and era. It, and even if it holds up artistically, I can just go, yeah, I've seen this a hundred times since. One thing that is should be noted is that reading this takes longer than reading other comics. It is a very dense book. Like there's a lot of words on the page and a lot of stuff crammed into each issue where like, as you're reading it, it took like, I read this at like, watchman pace i was gonna i don't know how much this shows up later this series a hundred percent later definitely starts toying with a lot of the watchman stuff oh sure same yeah yeah, exactly i'll say that and what's interesting is this is a filler episode you and i are both comic fans you and i both remember i'm sure monthly comics we like you grab it it's clearly a filler it takes you two minutes to read and you're like what the hell was that yeah why did i do that so that's definitely it all right, let's try and uh, we'll speed through some of the others. We got lots of different off points. But the good news is the next three episodes, despite being very storyful and having a lot, we're going to go over them quick, I'm sure, because basically Tick runs into Electra, who what, I forget her last name, but it's Oedipus is the first name. Yeah. And it's, it is just the what if a giant nigh invulnerable thing was in the middle of a ninja plot. Line, yeah. What if, what if the line. Tick was inserted into Daredevil? It's very funny. I never understood as a kid, obviously, why this character was named Oedipus. It didn't make sense to me. And now that I have taken a philosophy class, I get it. And it's very funny. So the Oedipus complex is wanting to sleep with your mom based on Oedipus Rex, the Greek tragedy. The opposite in psychology is called the Electra complex. So she's a parody of Electra. Clearly, it's not like... like, An Electra (laughs) is a girl wanting to sleep with their parents. Yeah. Yeah. So their their father, yeah. That's and it's it. obviously we're saying it's not necessarily a literal version of what that complex is. It's more of a psycho. As he's making parody character names of known superheroes, yeah. like Oppenheimer for Clark Kent, Electra is Oedipus. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it's very good. funny. Like Oedipus is very 
it's a very funny character to name and a full explanation of why that character never made it into the cartoon. Because then parents would have to explain who Oedipus is. My first experience with Oedipus was in the Tick video game. There's a Tick video game with Oedipus in it? Yeah, she was a... So you would get helpers, and each helper had a different power. So you would have Oedipus, and so they would come down and help you, and Oedipus would just stab at people. She'd have your back. So wherever you walked, you were basically two characters. Very funny bit in that is that when you would get Deflator Mouse, he would come down, not throw a punch <laughs> or do anything. And then as soon as he would get hit, he would take off. That's brilliant. It's oh, like brilliant by, comedy in there. Yeah. Throwing on the one-off pile at some point, I'm going to consolidate these a place. The X-Men video game arcade based on the failed pilot, the pride of the X-Men. Pride one of the, the greatest video games ever. I love that sucker. There's Welcome actually one to die. There's, yeah, it's so hilarious because it's based off of these characters from a failed pilot, but it's a great video game. That's a good one-off one. Back to the video game mode. But okay, so anyway, I'll try and go over the, the ninja plot lines pretty quick where basically there is a splinter-like character, stick-like yeah. character. So, I, I, well, let's see. Yeah. I'll, let's, I'll give it to you. So it's very funny. Okay, one of the big things, the deconstruction here is that basically in Daredevil, every character... At that time, you would see like every new character would be like, oh, I'm this person, but also with this dark mystery and that everybody had that. So what you see is that every time a new character is introduced, they're somehow related to like, like, like Oedipus's stepmother is like this, like kind of demon woman for no reason. Like they just add that in there that she's this like wealthy, evil demon woman. It doesn't necessarily make sense other than it makes sense in the meta version of like oh because every time a character is involved they have to have this one upping energy and i you remember that was like that. in ronma one half where like everybody knows martial arts like when you have the weird universe of everybody's a ninja and, and like the, that's even one of the jokes it's like and the joke in this them. is that ninjas have become so commonplace in the 1980s that they're basically just letting anybody be a ninja so she mentioned, she's like, I trained for three weeks for this. And all the different ninjas, they don't do ninja stuff because they're just doofuses. They're essentially, they're, as we find out, theme park employees. But the fact that it's making fun of all of 80s ninjas, everything had a ninja. Ninjas weren't everything at the time. It's 1988. So like, sh- like He-Man had a ninja character, for God's sake. That character, actually. They had Ninjor, <laughs> right? You had, so you had Ninjor, you had Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, and G- like everything had a ninja. And so it deludes the concept of what ninjas were. Like they were so popular that they've become deluded. And so what does Edwin do? He deludes them as a concept in his own book, which is just a brilliant, again, a brilliant version of parody. Edlin likes to poke at what happens if randomly something real happens. So they're all playing ninja. And at one point, Electra Oedipus gets stabbed. And at that point, Tick snaps, actually starts acting heroic, is able to like do a bunch of stuff and is like, this wasn't supposed to happen, actually goes on a rampage at that point. And this is actually like a good introduction. This is a much different Arthur than we're used to because it is the same schlubby Arthur, which is supposed to be part of the joke. The yeah, we get the, this is also our first introduction to Arthur. Exactly, but Arthur shows up. In the cartoons and stuff, Like that's the central tenet of the show is Arthur and the Tick's relationship. But in here, he's not added until the third issue. 
Although the irony I'll give you is that it, it does hold up because I would argue the introduction of Arthur, and it's very overt. Arthur shows up and tells the Tick, heroes don't kill. Because Tick, Electra's been just hurt. She was stabbed by a sword, which by the way, real world as well, right? In comics, it's not like, oh, you got stabbed, you're fine. Like real world, she has to go to the hospital, right? She's bleeding out, she's stabbed. Tick gets her to an ambulance, doesn't know what to do, decides to go destroy ninja world. Arthur, they're fighting over a thorn that winds up not mattering. Although maybe later it does, but at it, least it's, in this initial 12. Yeah, but they're basically chasing after. It's called the thorn. Because it's the thorn in everyone's side, which I think is a very clever. I mean, that's how I interpret it, is no, that I'll it's it this mystical horn that is essentially the seat of power and that it can be used to, like, destroy all ninja, which there's a very philosophical way that's utilized later but yes there are really great bits in that i think the best bit in this three-part arc is the ninjas disguised as hedges just holding up twigs surrounding this mansion everyone's just like how long have we had a hedge out here and it's just they're literally visible ninjas holding sticks and that's kind of reused in the cartoon which also has it which also has a butt i know you remember this butt so Arthur and Tick are trying to infiltrate basically a plant, like kind of a poison ivy-ish villain who has a plant as a head, a sunflower as a head. Elsie, yeah. Yeah, and there's a bunch. Oh, yeah, you're right. You've got the fun accent. But there's His name a bunch is Elsie. And then the, he, there's a bunch of anthropomorphized corn. So Arthur and the Tick are trying to pretend to be them. And they just put little stalks of corn in their yeah. head. And they go, hey, you don't look like you belong here. And the Tick goes, oh, yeah, that's because we're colonels. Because it's a corn army. It's a good joke. It's a corn. That's about. I think the stabbing is really funny. Where she oh, yeah. gets Stabbing's stabbed by one of the ninjas. Yeah. He just keep, the way he's holding it. It's like very weird. And she just goes, "Ow, Earl, what the hell?" And he's like, "Oh my god, I, I'm so sorry." And like they all like snap out of their like their war because they're like, "Oh shit, something actually happened." Like I thought that was very funny. And then the other guys just like, "Jesus, Earl, you stabbed her." And he's like, "Yeah, I did. I didn't." wow, I never stabbed anyone before. And that's when the tick starts losing it. Because, yeah, I mean, that's when the reality, I mean, that's the funny part. It's like the reality is literally broken because when we watch these Daredevil comics and they're fighting and he's getting bloody, it's like, no, in the real world, if you're fighting someone with a sword and you get stabbed a few times, you're just going to bleed out and die if something doesn't happen. That kind of breaks the breaks the tick out of it until Arthur shows up. And then kind of the end basically is Arthur, this introduction and origin story of him kind of persists. Namely, he's a schlubby accountant that finds a moth suit somehow. Got um, it at an auction. In this case, it's an auction in yeah. the television show. I think he just says he finds it in the, yeah, second, in the cartoon. In, they find it. He, I think it's fine. It's fine and find in the cartoon in the first live action. And, the and he's just like a schlubby accountant that. Yeah, he's like a so, nine to fiver. So he find and then for whatever reason, he's just like, I'm just going to start wearing this to work. And then work is like, you can't wear a moth suit to work. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to try my hand at being a superhero. This one, it's more overt where he's following the tick, has learned how to fly with this moth suit. Later, it'll be like, he has to learn how to fly and all that. But he's following a tick, learned how to fly, decides to team up with him. And then what ends up Not even decides to, but like, that's his like goal. That's Arthur's goal is to team up with the tick. It's not like, oh, we've met. We should do this. Yeah. This one, it's he's seen the tick because the tick He's a big giant guy running around the city, making lots of noise, killing all the ninjas. Arthur sees him, follows him, and sees the thorn, actually. So he gets the thorn. That's how it's kept out of the villain's hands for a little bit. Well, Electra, Oedipus, like, yeah, it's hard to say there, is stabbed. Teams up with a tick. 
eventually, right, we do get a villain standoff where the tick does the superhero thing, the I'll kill her, I'll drop it. And he just drops it on accident. Yeah. And, and like, the, so now we have a couple of characters that we've kind of glossed over. Okay. Well, uh, my God, yeah, there's the, two the characters that we didn't bring up at this point in time because we have, there. there's a middle management guy who is, I guess, supposed to take the place of the kingpin that's in charge of the hand right now. But there's really like a mystical guy in Japan who has a arch nemesis known as Paul the Samurai. And so there it's time for them to pay off their blood vendetta against each other, but they have to go from Japan to the city. Paul disguises his samurai sword in French in a loaf of French bread, but can't get it. But it doesn't work. It immediately doesn't security. work. Yeah. So he's like, fuck. And then he just jumps into the wheel well of the plane and flies in what is essentially the steerage yeah. of, of the plane. To get there. So now you have all of these different blood feuds and vendettas coming together. So it really has that trope of like, you're here and you're here and you're here and you're here. And we're all here in the final issue to have this thing be a problem. And the main villain doesn't want the ninja to be destroyed. So he needs to get that thorn to end that from being a problem. It drops. The dude jumps after it because he doesn't want to die. He dies. The thorn breaks and nothing happens to the ninjas and Arthur and everyone's like really shocked. And Arthur comes in. He's like, wait, did you think? Because Arthur is, I mean, obviously the audience of various forms of sanity is up there. But Arthur comes in as the sort of sane person saying, did you think everybody was going to like burst into flames when this thing broke? And they were like, I get kind of. And he's like, no, but if you think about it, it did kind of finish off the ninja. If this was the main guy and he dropped and all you have left is a bunch of doofuses that don't even know anything about this. They're just playing dress up. It worked. And they're well, like, and then, the and then the tick going for it destroys ninja world. So like, yeah, the ninjas oh, yeah. have been in universe have been destroyed. Oh, question. Just at least timeline wise, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, I think had been out when this article was published. And the, if those two don't recall, and I'm assuming it was budget-based. So the end of the movie ends with Splinter and Shredder on top of the on top of a building getting ready to fight. And basically, Splinter just Mr. Miyagi's it, and Shredder goes over the wall and falls into a garbage can, and then Casey Jones smushes him. I'm just wondering like, if that's an homage to this, because the same kind of thing happens, right? Instead of the dramatic showdown, the villain just falls off the edge of the building. I I wonder because let's see 1988 we're by issue 5 the publishing was really sloppy on this comic by the way the publisher I mean Edland was getting maybe 3 issues out a year so if we're looking at 88 I don't think it's going to be directly impacted by the movie I think they're both directly impacted by the history of story of just doing it that way and then this way I is doing so. it as kind of a joke and then the other yeah. and then the teenage mutant ninja turtle is doing it out of a yeah We've got a pup. We've got a puppet and a dude in a suit that's hard to move. Okay. And let's just do it this way. Any other comments on the ninja storyline? The next couple, I think, will go kind of quick. I do think it's funny that they created Ninja World, a theme park, which once again dilutes the idea that this secretive group of assassins is so mainstream now. Like the fact that GI Joe had ninjas, and you're like, what? Or like Storm Shadow was a ninja, and it's like, why? He's wearing all white. It's not going to be very stealthy. Like that they've lost their 
what made them cool has now disappeared. And I just, I find that very smart. Yeah. And it, yeah, that, as you mentioned, kind of the first two are kind of him getting into it. Although that's the other thing I think on issue eight, he makes like a joke about like ceasing to exist I, issue nine. And yeah, this is a person in college kind of getting stuff going, doing this on the side, which makes it even more remarkable. Yeah. All right. So in issue six, this is, this theme shows up a couple of times in the television, in a couple of the television shows. Namely, there is a superhero who I think is the hurricane or the tornado, something because his thing is like a palm tree. And he is a superhero in the city. The city has been diluted, so he wants to get some press for himself. He hires a villain to basically make an appearance. And the villain is the Red Scare, but it turns out it, this is just a big guy that can the hero's, the hero's name is the running guy, the by running the way. Guy. And his logo is a breezy palm tree because of like the wind that would come from the running and we have this problem in this world that we're going to see very big at the end of the series which is there's a glut of superheroes and there's and, not a lot of villains so what do you do and then also and then the funny part that makes the heroes that you know ben pokes fun at is like what are they in this for because batman well doing it perfectly that's like one of my only parts of that show I really like. But Batman Well on the live action, the tick is like just in it for publicity. And I guess Deflator Mouse is kind of similar where you go, the, you've got these heroes and you're like, do you defend people? And they're like, no, I'm in this for attention. So the running guy is looking for attention. He hires someone. But then what ends up happening is the tick and Arthur stumble on it first because it's supposed to just be an act where he's going to have a camera van. The yep. running guy's going to have a cameraman show up. He's going to run around, not let the guy hit him, grab a cord, do the, the red menace. Thing. Is that what it is? The red scare. And the yeah. red scare as a character shows up later. Who is a tick sized sickle and hammer themed Soviet. You got to remember too, that this is before really the collapse of the Soviet Union. So it's right at that point. So yeah. like the communists and, and, are still big villains. And to a degree, that's the joke he's making in here too, because it's revealed the red scare is not the red scare. He's, he says, I think he's Scottish is what they say. Yeah. And he basically just dresses up as to, this is almost making one of villains and the whole thing in general is like, he's just dressing up as the character that is currently popular to get attention for a hero. And that's what a lot of villains basically turn into. But the tick runs into him ahead of time. And then the hilarity is same as Superman. Tick just gets destroyed. But then the guy's timer goes off after four and a half minutes and he just pretends to be defeated. And the Arthur and the Arthur and the tick kind of the end of a few of the episodes for either tick or Arthur is just like, man, heroes are weird, huh? And they, yeah, they like, huh, that was very weird, right? Huh? All right. And they find right. him and they, the tick basically just beats this dude down. And the guy, he, they're clear, like they keep, they're treating him like an actor and they're like, don't be afraid to improv. This is how we get more work. And this will really sell it out there. And the guy's clearly just this reluctant kind of like, he talks about being a superhero or a villain or a superhero or whatever, but he, in reality, he just, he's kind of an actor. Yeah. And he's like, I fucking hate this. And then the tick shows up to beat his ass. And then the running guy shows up after he called all the media to show up and they follow him and he shows up to this downed guy. And so now he's furious at the tick and the red scare is just like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Like he's just so over this shit. And he's just, he's like, I don't like being beaten. Like this and, is not fun for me. I really and like and that. The post, and the postscript we see on him is it's a future job and the guy shows up and he's like, Hey, shift hasn't started. So yeah, hilarious stuff there. Yeah. It's good stuff. 
All right, next one has some of the more iconic characters that show up. Issue seven, yeah. So we have the Moon Menace. And the real parody here is Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. And the Dick, it's interesting too, because Dick Tracy villains work really well. Dick Tracy style villains work really well in the tick. Almost exclusively. You could, because Dick Tracy was serious. Dick Tracy was a serious comic. But it had characters like Pruneface and like Littleface and stuff like that. Weird looking dudes, right? Weird tangent. Do you know that Al Pacino got an Oscar nomination for Dick Tracy the movie? He should have. All, all right, I guess. He was great in that movie. Huh. Just because the movie wasn't the movie, like, yeah, I just phenomenal. The movie. <laughs> I love the movie, but I know it's not particularly great. It's more of a vanity project for the most boring person in the whole movie. It's also peak Madonna. Oh, yeah. Got Madonna, Warren Beatty, Al Pacino. He, like, apparently. Madonna's never been hotter than when she was Breathless Mahoney. I stand by that. All right. Forever. All right. But, so, sorry. Okay, so sorry we, to, sorry. okay. So, we got Dick Tracy. You're, as you're mentioning, the villains in Dick Tracy do really go well with the tick. And we get some of the, like, Chairface Chippendale sticks around. Chairface Chippendale becomes a major point of the tick. And it's very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, basically just Arthur and uh, Arthur and the tick are eating dinner. The tick wants some Pez. He goes out. He runs into Dick Tracy, who, who has a, literally an old timey TV on his wrist. His communicator watch is like an old, like rayon tube TV, which I think is very funny. And the joke is supposed to be that this is an outdated hero that is no longer kept yeah. up, which is true because... He's going around like, they haven't talked to me since 1973 is what he tells the tick. He says he's like fought Chairface Chippendale in the 50s, despite looking like a 30-year-old guy. It's like, he is supposed to be the out-of-time hero that the tick's just like, oh, I guess we're doing this. And then they wind up, Chairface Chippendale has got a big villain convention to come together. And his evil plot is his, he's going to write his name on the moon. And will the tick and uh, Dick Tracy be able to stop him? There's definitely some funny stuff where they get lassoed together and are being lowered into a pit of man-eating alligators and... Alligators and cows. And then the tick can't break out because he'll kill Dick Tracy. Because he's like, oh, I could easily break out of this. And he does it. And the Dick Tracy character is like, you're going to kill me. So we have... So yeah, they sneak in as bellboys. And you see Mr. Planter's who's just like a peanut guy. Very funny that you see Mac tonight from the McDonald's ads. Mac tonight is in the background. The cleft, who's just a guy with a big chin. Demon ugly. The guy that looks just like Peter Lorre. And Ben Edlin just drew Peter Lorre. And then Chairface Chippendale. And it is a problem. Oh, we also have what? Pineapple. Is it pineapple Pokebo? And that, that does wind up with a good end where Tick's fighting him. He's supposed to be the big bat, the big versus big. And Tick pulls the like top of the pineapple out and throws him like a grenade. Yes. Fun joke. Just throws him out the window like a grenade. Like he rips it. He punches him in the stomach, rips the dude's hair out. Blood comes out. And that's just to show you too that like this is still being made two to three years before the cartoon. So it still is going to have a little bit more of the grisly violence because this is around 90, late 91 to early 92. So it's clearly he used Dick Tracy because Dick Tracy was all the rage-ish in 1990, was it? And also a common thing that we're saying that is very funny about comics is so for instance, you get Matt Murdock and She-Hulk. By the way, finally got to watch it. Zeb Wells, one of your cool friends, amazing. 
Yeah. Right. But the whole funny point is as soon as you have She-Hulk and Daredevil in the same thing, and by the way, this was actually like the same kick storyline, right? Like this, the minute you get a Hulk in the middle of a ninja storyline, the Hulk's just like, what if I just break into yeah. ceiling and destroy everything? And the same thing here, when you've got, when you've got these overlapping superhero universes and on one end of the spectrum, you have gods. And on the other hand, you have, I trained with ninjas for a really long time it gets to be kind of absurd. So when you have the tick fighting with Dick Tracy, it's just like, oh yeah, the tick would just utterly destroy. Like all yeah. of these villains would be dead. Yep. Um, and- the problem with the cows and the alligators is that the alligators ate most of the cows. There's only and, then they're cow too, and then they're too gorged on the cows to they have any eat. interest yeah. in eating that. Yeah. And we do get, this is the introduction of man eating cow. Now, the only other fun button on the this is that they do not, thwart the villain's plan but no one comes away happy because chairface chippendale writes cha on the moon and then no one knows who it's about i think the end they're like was it charo and yeah so they think it's story. and then of course when tick shows back up at home arthur's like where were you and tick's like look at the moon and arthur's like oh my god put it back he's like we won he's like no you didn't win yeah and so that's the end and then that's, and that's a main part of it's very early in the cartoon series that they do that and then for the remainder of the series the moon has cha in it and there is an episode is there an episode where kit goes to the moon to try to fix it, it. yeah and that's where he meets i believe nigh nigh evolutionary which is the uh, something i forget what the character but basically galactus and that is from karma tornado that character they okay. use him in the and so when he goes up to fix it he meets like the galactus character and that character they use in karma tornado i'm gonna have to i'm giving myself more homework because now i want to watch i'm going to rewatch the tick the cartoons and i want to read the ones i haven't watched worth this it sets, good stuff this does set up the next episode in that they're on top of the roof tick gets hit in the head with a meteor the running joke about this meteor is it's from utah although it is not we'll discover obviously as well as that we get the introduction, and this is kind of a shame because she's so awesome in later iterations, but we get introduced to Arthur's sister, Dot, who basically just reveals the backstory that Arthur started wearing a moth suit that he bought at auction, got fired, for, put on leave in this, but fired from his job. Is he really going to do that? And Arthur basically says, hey, me and Tick, we should head to New York because the city's dead, right? There aren't even exact problem in this universe. There are too many superheroes, so the city doesn't even have ninjas anymore. So they're like, hey, let's go. Let's go to the big leagues. We, we've succeeded in the minors. Let's go to the big leagues. And the tick leaves the, the universe and the very capable hooves of man-eating cow. Yes. And then I think this is the episode where there's like a Watchmen reference where- There's the, several like, Watchmen references. And what the they are eye. is- okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. Watchmen, there are ways that people read Watchmen. And the main way that a lot of people like a lot of people don't read because alan moore added two different parts of different styles of comic telling in in watchmen because the famous one is the black freighter which is a sort of horror ec style comic from the it's basically a story about saving people and actually killing people on there and a lot of people don't like it. There are two Stop. parts of it, if I understand. It's supposed to be like allegorical, right? Because the premise of that story is this guy is trying to rush home on a boat to save people and ends up having to like kill, I think kill or eat the people on the boat to get back. Or I, I can't remember the whole thing, but it's supposed to be like he becomes a monster in trying to be the hero. And yes. It's supposed to be like allegorical to the whole Watchmen point. Yeah. And then additionally, if I recall, like Alan Moore notoriously would be behind schedule 
or they didn't think they'd have enough. So like they would, they did add filler to the watch and we're going, we're supposed to do a 12 episode arc. If we add origin stories, if we add these mini comics that will fill out the requirement, which does, it's so bizarre to be from a different universe where it's going, we want to tell this amazing story. And they're going, we need exactly 12 that are released monthly, which is people may not even remember. There was a time in the world where that was a thing. Yeah. And then the other part is the autobiography of the original Night Owl. And that is done as sort of like a history of the comics now in of the character and like the golden age before it became what we now consider sort of the modern age. What's fascinating about this is that the in the parody, it'll go like they'll, you'll see the tick comic happening and then you'll see the inlays of and I believe it's like red eye. So it's Red Eye, but then there's also the Sultan I Am Hero book. And those are both sort of parodies of what Alan Moore was doing in the middle of Watchmen, breaking it up with the Tales from the Black Freighter and the Night Owl thing, right? The whole time, Arthur's just like, yeah, I find that book kind of, uh, I think he calls it like pompous. Like he keeps talking about how like pompous and idiotic or like how like up its own ass it is. Which I think is very funny. And then, yeah, he finds a red-eye EC-style horror comic. This is also the episode where we see Arthur pick up the Viewmaster and see that it says crime, immediate vicinity, human male, two of them, watch the night sky, initiate destruction, danger. And what it is, it's literally two mob-style murderers hired by Chairface Chippendale to kill the tick. And they do shoot it, and then you tick. And that's always what makes Tick like the same thing happened in the Ninja episode where these people are trying to like fight with Tick and he's like, I'm just going to throw a chimney at him. I'm like, oh crap, like what are we getting into? And that is always a funny part of comics where you've got the henchmen that are like, like, what are you doing? Just, yeah. So they try to snipe the Tick. They hit him in the temple with a bullet and it just pops off of him. And he's, and of course he does the jerk joke. He's like, oh, another meteorite. It's like, it's not a meteorite. Yeah. These damn meteors, I think. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So like, And then basically like Arthur and Dot are freaking out and Tick's like, I'm going to go take care of it. And, but he kind of like stumbles and then the cow, man-eating cow basically eats these men. And all the while Arthur and Dot are having kind of this argument about how like his life is weird and terrible now. And he's like, no, it's not. And also you're criticizing me while you're hiding under a table. And he's like, no, this is the life that I want. I want to see how this goes. So then he's like, all right, we're going to leave. We're going to go to New York. We'll leave all of the city to man-eating cow. And we're going to go on a travel, a little travelogue to New York. And we are going to get very lost along the way. And that's next episode with Chainsaw Vigilante. This is definitely one overkill, I would say, is like the stand-in, but Ben definitely loves poking fun at the anti-hero against Chainsaw Vigilante, very much up there like the Punisher. This gets silly. So the in episode nine, the kind of main story, as you're mentioning, is Tick and Arthur trying to get to New York, but they're foolishly following a map that Tick has. And Tick's just getting them From lost everywhere. Yeah. At some point, I think they pick up the red eye and Tick's telling Arthur he's going to kill him. And this is the same kind of Superman joke where the tick just irritates this guy to the point that he eventually leaves. So we get Chainsaw Vigilante, who never makes it to the cartoon, by the way, for obvious reasons. But we do get the civic-minded five in its infancy, which we do see our regular characters in the tick 
cart. I think most famously the tick versus the proto clown is really where they show up. And you see a couple of the characters in make it to the cartoons, but then they also piece together. They like the idea of the civic minded five, but they bring other characters in there once it hits the cartoon. And the chainsaw, chainsaw vigilante is just cutting these guys up. Like he's injuring them. He's not killing them. But when he fights the tick, he even tries cutting the tick's dick off and it doesn't work. And he's also, again, another Watchmen homage at the upside down smiley face because the whole Watchmen, the whole yeah. Watchmen premise is if you've got Batman like superheroes in the real world, eventually they're just going to die yeah. and get well, destroyed. He's a happy face mask too. Yeah. Like he's clearly like the anti hero, like the I'm dark and brutally. And this is all very nice, Jeff. And then, of course, these are all silly. And he and his M.O. is he hates heroes and he wants them to quit because he thinks they're stupid, basically. So, yeah. again, another Watchman nod fails against the tick. And I think he I think there's an epilogue in one of the comics where he wants to come back to fight the tick. But then Arthur and Tick get on their way. The next episode's kind of out of nowhere, Jeff, and I'm fine calling them episodes or they could be called issues. They run into a monolith town. Basically, a 2001 monolith has taken over a hick town in the middle where a bunch of brilliant hicks are there and are just kind of so brilliant they're bored that they yeah. want to try and experiment on the tick. Arthur gets exposed to the monolith as well and turns into a super genius that apparently could solve everything in the world. But in attempting to destroy the tick, the town breaks their machine, Tick goes flying, destroys the monolith. One of my favorite jokes in the comic series is Tick and Arthur talking about the monolith, and it's like, this is clearly too evil. This is too powerful. We have to destroy it. Yeah. And Arthur's like, what are you going to do? And Tick's like, I guess I could throw it into the sun. Picks up the monolith, hurls it into the air. Ends like 40 yards away or something like that. And it's Tick's very like, funny. But Tick's like, eh, probably good enough. And they leave. What's funny is that the monolith itself is not evil in nature but it shows what happens when humans are accessing that like i think that's a very funny bit that like usually when you see something like "Ooh, it's this stone and it's corrupting mankind it's not it's benevolent and mankind corrupts it's corrupts the monolith in its own like it's not that the monolith is just giving them intelligence it's making them smarter and then what people do is they're like, we're bored with just inventing great things. Let's kill some people. And I think that's a very interesting way of viewing this kind of a story of like, oh, because, you know, you got to remember that the most popular author at this time was Stephen King. And Stephen King loves writing shit like this. Like this is a Stephen King story that they inserted the tick into. Yes, definitely. But the twist is that Stephen King is always like, ooh, this evil thing came from space. And Ben Edlin is being like, oh, this wonderful thing came from space and mankind used it for awful stuff. Like, it's much more of a Bradbury version of a Stephen King. If I can use two authors, if I can use two authors that high schoolers read. Oh, look at Jeff reading books over here. I, look at me having heard of authors in the past. But yeah, so like, that's what I think is a very, like, when you look at what the parody is, that has a lot to it. We also see that the meteor, we see the origin story of the meteor, which we kind of have been glossing over. It's actually like a bacteria species that craves condiments. It asks for cheese initially, and then takes like, no. And then I think they, they threaten him and they're like, yeah, we can reform matter and destroy you. And he's like, okay, do it. 
and they kind of calls their bluff and then they're like, okay, get us some condiments. He puts condiments there. The Arthur character keeping up this very interesting, knowing, intelligent, normal person, like the very silly comic trope of he's in the universe, he's recognizing it. And then when like Tick's like, oh yeah, there's this meteor over here that's got sentient bacteria on it that reconfigured the meteor to say it was from Utah. And Arthur's like, ah, what? I think he says, whatever. Like, okay. He says, Hort- and Horton hears a who, which of course Horton did hear a who. So there you go. And then we see as they're driving, we see the red eye is now in the back of the truck of the car and the tick loses his goddamn mind about it. Correctly. But then they, and they keep having this thing. He's like, well, I just, I need a ride to then. And they basically essentially annoy him to leave. So like they have this like demon hitchhiker and he keeps doing all this shit and like being like terrifying to them. And they're just like, no, like, we're just going to annoy you until you leave. And he's well, like, initially they pull over and leave the car alone. And he like eats through all of their snacks and like messes with their radio. So finally they're like, fine, we'll take you to the next city. And tick decides, I mean, it's almost like, yeah, tick realizing, Hey, I've got a superpower, which is annoying people. Yeah. And just annoys him. And eventually the guy says, Hey, I leave. And so yeah, they run like, out of gas and they're like, we'll make it. Cause the ticks like, yeah, I'll just, I'll carry the car. And he's just like, I don't, it's funny because it's like this demonic roadside entity, which again, very EC comics, very Stephen King creep show kind of shit. But they subvert it in a very funny way. It's subverted by just being like, they annoy this where he just becomes this like frustrated guy, which I think is very funny. I'm trying to remember the, uh, like the Lockstock director, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. Uh, yeah. I remember an interesting thing that came up on Gameplay Unemployed talking about some of his movies is like a motif in his movies is that teenagers are just the kryptonite to gangsters. So you have these, ga- these very serious gangster movies going on. And in the midst of them, you just have teenagers like, yeah, fuck off, bruv. It's and, chaos. And they, they don't know. Because to- teenagers represent chaos. So like when you have the plans of gangsters and then you insert chaos because the chaos from Snatch is not, it's Romani people. It's not teenagers. It's something that's equally chaotic. And then I think Guy Ritchie smartly realized that you probably shouldn't. Yeah. Maybe. Because it's kind of culturally insensitive. So, but so you get to like the gentleman with Matthew McConaughey and yeah, the teenagers oh, yeah. like, yeah, you've got just hilarious. And Shout out to cool of... friend Franz Drama for being one of those teens. Oh, one of the boxers. I'm going to have, I'm going to get him on the show too. But yeah, like, he like, was in Attack Jack. the Block. I love that dude. I was going to say like, like now can you, you can go start recording that. Like, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to schedule. Scheduling with actors is probably the hardest scheduling I do. And you know what? For fans of Jeff Has Cool Friends, on the last episode, you actually talk in depth about the difficulties in scheduling. So for more of that, What's, check out Jeff Has Cool it's Friends. It's funny because I know this is nerd, but like uh, speaking of nerdy things, I'm going, I go to Star Trek Vegas every year with my uh, one of my best friends and my co-producer of Mind on Card, Lisa Harden. And she emailed me news that was like, oh, so this a big chunk of the Orville is going to be there. And I was like, oh, my friend Jay Lee is there. And she's like, who? And I was like, that guy, the black guy right there. And she's like, wait, you're just you're friends with that guy? I was like, I met him and did some interviews with him and stuff. And we got along really well. And she was yeah, just like, everybody. Basically, at this point with you, Jeff, yeah. if you're not a friend, I just get more shocked. The joke I bring up, if you haven't seen the show, it's called Better Off Ted. It's an amazing show, one of the funniest. And there's just this random episode where they're like talking to Ted, who's supposed to be this really affable, nice, tall guy. You don't know anybody like that, right, Jeff? And they're just talking to him. They're just like, yeah. And you know, when you're hanging out with your friend, Ryan Seacrest and they're, and he's like, I'm not friends with Ryan Seacrest. So I go, like, oh, we just assumed 
you were friends with Ryan Seacrest. When I told you that the first time, your response was, well, I'm friends with Dunkelman, who's really close. And I'm like, yes, that's the point. <laughs> Jeff's friends with everybody. But one person I was shocked to find out you weren't friends with, and he is going to get a ping after this episode, is Griff Newman, who does play Arthur in one of the iterations of The Tick. And that alone, right? I'm just like, he's a big Tick fan. You're a big Tick fan. Obviously, you are both big fans of Angus on the uh, Blank Check podcast <laughs> that he does. He just mentions that randomly. And what I'll throw out there, I'm curious if this is still good. Are these coupons expired? Have you asked them? But Jeff basically briefly had in his possession 10 cameos from the original Angus actor himself. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think Charlie still has that open. Yeah. And I, the rough part about like coupons on shows is like if you don't promote them, they just kind of wither. Like people forget about them. And I was like the only one that did it, which was a steal. I think it was if you sign up to Jeff's Patreon for $20 or more, you can get yeah. a cameo from Angus. And I was going to say, we definitely need to throw one up to Griff Newman and just be like, hey, just as an FYI. So uh, the red eye thing happens as their way to the monolith. Once we get to the monolith town, they start to show that they have all these, it's these bumpkins that have these incredible inventions. He's like, oh, we don't have gas at our gas station. He's like, what? He's like, we created these pellets. One pellet will give you about 200,000 miles of fuel. And they're like, excuse me? Which is what gets them out of this road trip loop they've been stuck in. Is now yeah, They're never they going to run out of gas again. They keep getting lost. They're also periodically drugged. Arthur loses his mind, but the tick is totally fine. They break the monolith. Everybody's okay. And then, yeah, you see Chainsaw Vigilante going around just beating up. He's still beating up. There's like Urchin Boy or something. It's it's Jelly. There's like Manowar and Jelly Boy. Yeah. I think is the is the one there. And he pokes him in the eye. I think that's like the big thing and then walks away. Now we move on to issue 11 and issues 11 and 12. I call them, I call this the Barry saga. I consider issue 11 to be the genesis of one of my, if not my favorite episode of the tick cartoon, which is the tick versus the tick. They get to New York city and it turns out it's just a bunch of superheroes yelling at each other because there's so many superheroes there that you can't go anywhere without them, which is a play on Marvel Comics. Meaning if you go to New York City, superheroes are everywhere. You have the Fantastic Four, you have the Avengers, you have Spider-Man, like New York is Doctor Strange. So you can't X-Men go- X-Men is Connecticut, right? Which is right there. Well, They've it's, got a jet. it's not technically Connecticut. It's, it is upstate New York. It's Westchester. It's Westchester, New York. So it's right there, but they always find themselves in New York. They go to New York a lot. Like they, that's where they go to hang out, which I think is really interesting. Where but, they go to high school too, right? And yeah. But like She-Hulk is in New York. Like all of these characters, Daredevil in New York. So like you can't go everywhere without seeing a superhero in the Marvel universe. They're there everywhere, even though like everyone's always surprised when a hero, oh my God, it's Spider-Man. It's like that dude would just be around all the time. I've heard that's like LA with like LA and New York with celebrities. It's like, you yeah, just you're just like, all right. Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. You just like a good example. I was at a, I was at the grocery store not terribly long ago and I turned the corner and Nestor Carbono was there. Now you might know him as like the mayor of Gotham city from the dark Knight, and all the, I know him as Batman. Well, from the tick TV series, as well as from suddenly Susan. And it's jarring also, when also you so unlost. Yes. Amazing on Lost, yeah. Um, when you turn the corner with your thing and like you see a person who you just know and it's, it used to be that you'd be like, oh my God, like if you saw that in Indianapolis, you'd be like, holy shit, what are you doing here? But out here, you're just like, huh, oh, all right, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense that you'd be here. Yeah. Love your work. Have a good day. Amazing stuff, yeah. 
And then you just keep on moving. But so in this superhero nightclub, he basically gets brought to a superhero nightclub. I think the cartoon does this about four times better. But the comic does a very good idea of deconstructing superhero social circles. There was a an overlapping, I think it was one of the Justice League. I don't know if it's unlimited, but it was like a, with a booster gold. So mm-hmm. there's an episode where the heroes are like saving the world and booster gold like, like put on second duty and like does a big save. He's on crowd see. duty. Yeah. But in reality, he's the one that saves the world while Merlin is destroying everything. Yeah. And it's a common trope in television shows that like happens in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's an episode oh, yeah. where Xander does that as well. It's well, you- Rosencrantz and Gildenstern style of storytelling. So Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead is a very famous, I believe it's a book turn play or play turn book, but it's basically what happened behind the scenes of Hamlet to push the story further. And it's like these two characters who show up for like two lines and are sent out. And somebody was like, oh, what happened behind the scenes here? My favorite version of that is in the Star Wars universe. Kevin Rubio wrote a book called Tag and Bink Are Dead. And Tag and Bink are dead are two, they're two rebels who, in order to survive off of the Tantive Four invasion, dress up in dead stormtrooper armor and they get back onto the, because they're like, we will die if we don't get on. Was he on Jeff Has Cool Friends or is that Sideshow Sideshow? Kevin Rubio? I've never I, had I him on. Seem to recall this backstory. Of, you've got multiple friends. I've, I've brought it up. I've brought so. it up before. I'm like friends with him on Facebook, but we don't know each other personally. He had he got sort of Star Wars fandom by making Troops, a cops style mm-hmm. Star Wars film on Tatooine that sort of explained what happened to Owen and Beru Lars, and it but it was done in like cops, and it was like this very popular, very early viral video as far as the internet goes. And so Dark Horse had him write sort of like a behind the scenes of the Star Wars universe where a lot of the stuff that is moved forward is done by these two guys who accidentally found themselves in this position. And so on the TV show, the thing there is the Mad Bomber, What Bombs at Midnight. The Midnight Bomber, What Bombs at Midnight, yeah. And Arthur stops him and none of the heroes notice. He's basically going around planting bombs on the superhero nightclub. Arthur has been relegated to the sidekick section yeah, with a bunch happens. of teenagers and a dog and an ape. Yeah. And what's also the comic book, one thing it does, well, I can't remember if it's in the cartoon. I actually, I need to rewatch the cartoon because even though I watched it live at the time, like a lot of the references aren't yeah. landing. It's, it's on Hulu. Me. Yeah. But what I was going to say is in the comic book, Arthur's hanging out and they're like, you're supposed to be like a teenager with pouty lips or like a dog that gets lobotomized. And Arthur's like, what? No. He's like, this makes sense for me because I'm old and have agency and understand what I'm doing. Yeah. None of you should be here, which I know was actually like a thing that Stan Lee would say. It was weird at like Marvel. I know that was like an issue with Kitty Pride for a lot of it was going, they, we shouldn't be letting minors get into this much danger. Yeah. And this is actually briefly deconstructed as well in The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which is the Pulitzer oh, Prize winning book that they mentioned that like there's a group of comics professionals hanging out talking. And Stan Lee is sort of sort of injected in there saying, I don't understand why you guys keep putting kids with your adults. Like, it's weird because he did. Yeah, Stan Lee famously did not like child sidekicks. He thought it was weird putting children in, and that children didn't need a placeholder to enjoy fantasy. Now, so when we see that in there, the midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight and the in the cartoon 
is the real danger that's happening while the heroes are fighting each other. And that's the commentary on it. But what you were talking about when the other sidekicks are talking to him and they're like, aren't you embarrassed to be a full grown adult doing this? And he's like, no, you're being put in danger. And like the implication when they say like the pouty lips is like, and probably getting molested, which they do that. Yeah, the, there's this, t this is obviously written by a young man in the late eighties into the early nineties. So like some of the stuff is a bit sus, I guess <laughs> the kids would say it nowadays. Like there's sort of a, there's a little bit where they, Arthur and the tick sort of are like, I think they say funny, but what they mean is gay. So they're like, are you gay? He's like, I'm not gay. Are you gay? Like, no. I was like, all right, we can sleep in the same. Bed. I mean, that that joke, unfortunately, I mean, it lasts. It's so funny when you're like, man, this is so dated. And you're like, okay, what was the last example of this being used mainstream? Because that was just a recurring joke on Friends with like Joey and Chandler. Mm -hmm. Like, be always like, oh, you guys are really good friends. Isn't that weird? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I think what a Sherlock did that, the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch one yeah. had that joke too. So it's like he's hanging out with talking animals and teenagers while... The heroes, because heroes are so bored, they just kind of hang out, do whatever. And then we see that there's another guy named the tick in New York. And this guy is an asshole. And he's brought like the tick they're brought there. And then this guy basically loses his shit and attacks the tick. And he thinks he's winning. And everyone's like, oh, no, Barry's that shield. It's going to crush his butt. And then the tick just goes, stop it. And he just hits the guy and sends him flying. Doesn't he say spoon? Because that we didn't get his spoon. Yeah, he had established the spoon at one point in time. But yeah, he's really just the tick is annoyed at that point in time while he's and everyone's just like, what are you doing? The guy's like, I'm the tick. And he keeps trying to fight him. He sprays him with acid. He's he throws the tick into a wall. Well, when we're talking to like Frank Miller homages, yeah. Watchmen homages, very much the Batman versus Superman. Where it's just like, no, yeah. no. Well, yeah, so he yells, quit it, hits him once, and everyone's like, wow, you won. And then we find out in issue 12 that what it means by winning, argue when you argue over a name, is you get access to all of this person's superhero stuff. It's like a championship belt. Or, I mean, I could also buy, is this supposed to be almost a meta commentary on like IP rights and stuff in comics where... I mean, that, I don't know if it goes that like deep. copycat I mean, I stuff. That, I mean, I know that you definitely get in like Captain Marvel as just an example where you've got this IP that was bought between different things and this company's allowed to use it and this company's not allowed to use it and this yeah. stuff. So with like, with this you case- can't call like, Shazam Captain Marvel on a title, but you can say that's his name within the confines of the book, but through legal, re like, yeah, like Fawcett Publications creating Captain Marvel as basically a Superman ripoff. To the point where DC sued them and eventually owns now owns the rights to that character. Now we have Captain Marvel as a Marvel character. And as long as Marvel Comics keeps publishing something with the name Captain Marvel over a certain period of time, like they have to like re-up it, sort of like maintaining film rights, then they keep that copyright. And yeah, I was definitely curious with like New England comics, you were saying keeping the tick in publication. I'm not sure if there's anything there, but I was curious if like issues they, this they, because they don't the reason that New England Comics keeps it in publication, I'm guessing, is because they don't make money off of the secondary market value of their comics. So the scarcity and rarity, plus they're not Marvel that are churning out 30 titles a month. They're New England Comics. Their characters are The Tick 
and the characters of the ticks. So they're not, they have one very niche thing that they're doing. And now it's just a license to print money. They've do a new printing. Now the cover is red. Here we go. 35. Now it's print run 35 there. They make another 15,000 every time they run a new print or something like that. Who knows? I don't know what the money is, but it makes sense to do that, that they want their stuff accessible. They want people to have access to this. So and plus yeah. they're at stores. So you can walk in every time you walk into a new England comics, you can buy a copy of the tick number one. Which is, that'd be fun to do at some point. I don't know. Next time I'll be in new England. Shit. Maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll go right now. Maybe Wait, let's see. So Jeff, by the way, this is a superpower you have on podcasts. You're on so many, but you keep track of when they're going to be published. So you make sure when you reference the external world in podcast universe, you are referencing the present, which is tomorrow, very trippy. Tomorrow, tomorrow, as if you listen to this on the day of release. So if you're listening to this on February 16th, good for you. Tomorrow, I fly out to New England. So maybe I will stop by a New England comics. Damn, I'm going to a comic book wedding too. Maybe New England comics will come to me. I'll say this. I will go to, I will go to a New England comics while I am in New England. I promise you that I'll do that. How about that? How's that sound? This is one of those funny, like almost like this almost seems like a tick thing where like I vow. And I'm like, all right, definitely get a photo. That would be really cool to see. It's awesome that we did a tick do episode overlapping with you being in New England, which I had not planned to do. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Their website. Uh, I have thought Quincy, it was, I, Brookline, Brockton, Malden, and Norwood. Perfect. But let's, we'll finish off the tick because we're definitely at time, Jeff. Anyway, we main fight is Barry versus tick as noted in this one. It's just them fighting doesn't have the side one, which is much better with Arthur in the cartoon tick wins the IP of Barry, but then this also gets very funny, nice, contentious. They just won the tick stuff. So he's Batman. They basically move into Wayne Manor. They have access to the bat cave. But he still lives in the manor. And he and they, has to and like, they don't he has to like host them, basically, which is very funny. Like they have they it's basically like they are renting the office space of the tick cave. And they're like, you have entry and you have access to the first floor bathroom and kitchen, kitchenette or whatever, but you don't have access to the rest of it. It's like renting an office. Yeah. And, and then of course, as they're there, they're wrecking his stuff because Tick and Arthur, they're just yeah. messing with these gadgets and stuff. And Barry is slowly going mad as these two people are just wrecking his stuff. We get the introduction to the terror and that Barry's eventual solution is he calls his old nemesis, the terror, says, hey, he's got a new look and a new sidekick and he's going to be here at this place. It sure would be a shame if the terror came out of hiding and did anything about that. Also, Tick has decided to, he's done a advertising joint, Jeff. He decides to watch all the commercials and it breaks him. Yeah, he's just watching TV. So the point is he's saying, if I consume all this media, I will see what's going on in the world. And it's just all commercials. Which is the construction on, on commercial television, obviously. And he gets convinced that like the main sponsor of a lot of stuff is evil. So he's going to do something about that, which I think overlaps. And then basically that, that ends Ben Edlund's run as writing the tick before doing yes. lots of stuff better. Important to see what's important to know is that what Barry decides to do. And I think this shouldn't be ignored here is that he calls his arch nemesis, who is like the terror and the terror is going to be a very important part in tick canon outside of this issue. And we see like what is essentially their legion of doom, their injustice society, whatever you want to call it, where they have like the Klaatu character that makes it into that episode. The terror 
is a great character and we only get a real glimpse of him. But in the long run, what we see is in the cartoon, he was a golden age villain that never stopped, but he's kind of like a hokey golden age villain, but he's also like a straight up evil genius. He was best friends with Stalin. And they actually bring a Stalin type character that he keeps being like, and my old buddy, Joseph Stalin. And it's like, actually, I'm not actually Joseph Stalin. I have just modeled my life and appearance after him in order to, and he's like, ah, that's Joseph. And it's this clearly this old aging, nearing dementia level villain. And so the, what they finish up on in issue 12 is like, we're going to, you know, send it. And that's why he's fighting multi Santa on the cover of this trade. Cause that's what issue 13 was going to be. I'm glad that they continued that through the comics because that episode, the episode where the tick, I mean, in the cartoon, excuse me, the episode where the tick goes up against the terror is one of the funniest cartoons I've ever seen. And then, like, of course, the terror also shows up in the Amazon one. Yes. As well. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, basically, if you're a tick fan and you read these comics, everything, a lot of the jokes are repeated, a lot of stuff is set up. You see where a lot of stuff comes up. And then but it's funnier like, in the cartoons. It's done better. Like, think about it. Okay, I have a hard time explaining this to people because I don't I don't think it the tick is a cartoon literally for everyone, but best enjoyed by adults. But it's not adult animation. I personally think the tick is funnier than say like a Rick and Morty. Or like most adult animation that comes out now, if you compare the style of humor with the stuff now, if you go back and watch the Hulu Tick cartoon, it's better from a comedy standpoint and consumable by literally everyone. It was on Fox Kids, for God's sake. And that, to me, is why I put it, I put it above Batman the Animated Series as far as Saturday morning fare was concerned. I like... I think Batman the Animated Series isn't as good as Justice League Unlimited. I think it's just more focused. But the Tick comic, the Tick cartoon, I think is, in my opinion, the closest thing to a perfect cartoon. Requisite basketball comparison, Jeff. This gets interesting because it starts getting into like Michael Jordan territory. Something that drives me mad as a sports fan is older athletes bashing younger athletes. Right near yeah. this recording, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record was just passed by... LeBron like James. LeBron James, yeah. Yes. LeBron James, the greatest basketball player ever. And I've got no complaints with that. I've yeah, but how that. good was he at minor league baseball? Yeah, that is a good question. And I mean, I don't know, Space Jam, what's a tie? It's a push. Anyway. Yeah, they each have a Space Jam, yes. But that being said, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was actually very deferential. Just like, yeah, this is fine. This makes sense in the grand scheme of things. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did a much better job than, say, Wilt Chamberlain did at The Next Generation. And what bugs me about that is we're talking about like some of the tick parodies at the beginning. And going, this is all old stuff for this. You're a stand-up comedian. Stand-up comedians know that jokes age. You have to you you have to adapt. People have heard that people have heard that joke once and they hear it a hundred times. It's like, yes, that was funny in the 80s. It's not funny anymore. You gotta make new stuff. So in sports, athletes get better. So older athletes saying, like Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley saying, Yeah, we trust them. It's like, no, you wouldn't, because they learned from you. Yeah. They watched your game, they learned your stuff, they got better. This takes me to Michael Jordan, though. If you look at Michael Jordan in the 90s, freaking amazing and amazing to the point that his numbers still hold up because there are inflation on statistics. And that's just because like 
players get better at making rebounds and three-point shots. Michael Jordan, just like his offensive numbers, they look good in the 90s, they look good now. Kobe Bryant is an example. Kobe Bryant in the modern NBA would look like a bad player if he played like he did in the 90s. Obviously, Kobe Bryant would improve and be a better player yeah. in the modern NBA, I would expect. But 2004 Kobe Bryant looks bad in 2022 NBA, whereas 1990, I'll say 1989 to 1992 Michael Jordan still looks amazing in modern day NBA. And you're like saying the same thing about the tick. So basically the tick holds up and it's the tick holds up in a way that it's not just because I, I'd say this a lot when I talk about the media I consume, I'm not precious about the things that I watch. I love He-Man. I know it is bad. Like we talk about that a lot. We talked about that on the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special where I'm like, I loved this as a kid. I recognize that from a storytelling perspective and in other perspectives, it's not good. The Batman, the animated series, I look at it and I say, yes, it is great. It is groundbreaking. It is visually stunning. It has way more stinkers than you realize. With the tick, I'm like, oh, this is actually better than I remember it. And that to me is, that's important. The, that the tick cartoon is relatively timeless in regards to like how everything works. Like you don't rewatching it. You don't notice that there's no cell phones like, or whatever it is. It's just that everything is silly enough. And we see fleshed out versions of characters that we get in cameos. Thrakerzog is a two page character in the tick that basically shows up as a fake, as like an enemy that gets defeated immediately is like, I'll see you next time. And then leaves. Right. When they convert Thrakerzog into the cartoon, he is a neighbor of the ticks from Dimension X trying to clone him. He's very polite. He's like very dignified and he's a giant booger man. But he's like, he's very, he's got like that sort of Tony Randall style of talking. And it's just, he's, it's brilliantly done. That, so like when I watched, rewatched Batman the animated series, even before I rewatched it for Tom and Jeff watch Batman, I was like, this isn't as good as I remember it. There's some great episode, A Heart of Ice. Yeah, that's as good as you remember it. It's probably better. When I rewatched The Tick, I'm like, oh, this is better than I remember it being. And that's why I, I think it's by far the most underrated cartoon of all time. So what I'll definitely throw out, Jeff, since we can start getting to plugs in future shows, is that uh, find a way to make Jeff big enough to justify the tick. Because your current argument is at least on the nerd venue, which would be the most logical place for it. Now, I got no complaints with Tom and Jeff watch the tick. I got no complaints anywhere <laughs> else. But basically, it comes down to your time and demand. And basically, I want Jeff getting paid for it. So I don't want another network. Well, to like, do like a rewatch show? I would love to do a Jeff watches the tick, but I basically, your fans got to pay for it, Jeff. You got to, it can't be I don't Jeff know. does it out of the good. Really? Wait, here, I don't think that would be good. I don't think me doing a show about the tick would be good. And I'll tell you why, because that would be me deconstructing humor. And the tick does that on its own. It's why Tom and I won't do Brave and the Bold or Harley Quinn on Tom and Jeff watch Batman. They already did the job. Like they, you don't need a comedy podcast about a comedy show. So in order for me to make the, a show about the Tick cartoon viable, I would have to find a way to improve upon what they're doing. And it's just not going to work. Like, it's too I, the, good of a show for me to be able to deconstruct because they are, it's, it, would be like, it would be like doing a comedy podcast about Gremlins 2. 
you're like Gremlins 2 is its own comedy. Even like, though that is the most hilarious Key and Peel sketch. I'll say this, Jeff. I'm not even worried about this discussion debate as we definitely love the nerd debates. We're I have like, opinions about that Key and Peel sketch, by the way. We I'm so they're sad. making I, a I, joke I, about the thing that they were doing on their own. Like they're making a joke about Joe Dante being like, Yeah, why would you do that? And Joe Dante would is literally like, yes, that is the point. Like, that is absolutely the point. We added all these stupid things because Gremlins is a stupid thing to have a sequel for. Like, that movie is a self-parody. That's why Gremlins 2 is brilliant. It makes fun of itself as it's happening in a time when that very rarely happened. You see shades of that in things like Blazing Saddles and other Mel Brooks films, but those are very, like, wink, wink, nudge. The whole movie of Gremlins 2 is a deconstruction of the movie of Gremlins 2. And that's so goddamn funny. Yes. Right, Gremlin, well, I'm sorry, do... but Gremlins 2 is also a perfect parody. I, again, I added too much information on there. But yes, the Tick comic, you can access it. You can buy it. Usually, if you go to comicshoplocator.com, plug in your zip code, and they will give you a plethora of comic shops that are available to you. Call those shops, ask if they carry the Tick, and they very well could. However. You can go over to New England Comics website and they have a tick store where you can order any of those books. You can order an omnibus that contains all 12 issues in one. You can order, there's so much. There's the Samurai Paul, which is 13 books. Tick and Arthur, which was a sequel series. That's 12 books. Karma Tornado. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot available that you can order online. They will ship that to you. Love it. All right. And I mean, in your book and keeping with the uh, plug thing. So by the way, this was a filler episode. Here's the thing. Season three has decided this is awesome. You and Adam have started doing pack breaking on the Unpopular Opinion Network feed. For, for you, you, I will also be doing it as well through my own stuff. I was going to say, you have a YouTube channel, burgeoning YouTube channel. I do. That is a perfect home for the final product of that. So that would definitely be awesome. So Jeff is now doing pack breaking, which leads into our next season, which we decided ahead of time. And we just wanted a little bit of time before that which is going to be collectible card games. What I am going to do is I have three that I know of that I want to do the series, but not precious with the exception of one. Star Wars customizable card game, Pokemon, and Magic. Those are three yep. solid ones. Those are the three. Those are three big ones. The two main ones are Pokemon and Magic the Gathering with the understanding that obviously the Star Wars customizable card game episode would be the one that I would know the most about yeah so star wars is the only one that's not getting cut and so what i was going to say is i'm debating if we want to do a pull to let people decide which one to go with first no we don't have to oh, do we'll that. see yeah i don't no, think we have to do that you've said like this is my show and like i said this is and i'm aware i know what i'm doing yeah. in social engineering getting user engagement because it's Fair getting enough. people involved we can early. do that i would add too that uh, there are other i think a good episode and tom and i have bandied about doing doing a series on this too which is why i guess maybe we shouldn't do this on nerd i think the overpower card game which i think was a big precursor to a lot of card games and it started the superhero collectible card game things when marvel overpower had started and then it went to dc and even image for a while that was a very popular card game for a little while so overpower is good. Yu-Gi-Oh is actually oh yes massive as well. I would not have fun talking about Yu-Gi-Oh because I don't know. It's only because I know nothing about it. But maybe well, I would I'm, have fun learning. I was going to say I may or may not do a poll of some sort that's just deciding with the with the knowledge yeah. that Star Wars is going to happen. 
The goodest news too, Jeff, is here's my hope. Here's what I'm going to keep throwing out there. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash Jeff May. If the tick series sounds good, which by the way, is so far in the future, if it ever happens, I'm not worried. Basically, it would be awesome to have Jeff do more stuff. Jeff's got a lot of good ideas. <laughs> if you go to patreon.com forward slash Jeff May, that'll happen. There will, hopefully, you've been teasing this. I'm really hoping coinciding with the two-year anniversary of the Jeff May, of the Jeff Has Cool Friends podcast, you do some revamping, you know, us people, I'm one of them, by the way, mm -hmm. us producer tier levels, we've had it easy for far too long. Yeah. So in, in April, we're going to be restructuring. When we hit that two-year stint, we're going to do just some quick shifts, some quick little baby shifts to make things work. Because, yeah, we've been at it for quite some time now. And if you want Jeff to do more of that, go there, give yeah. him money, and he can produce more stuff, which I'm a fan of as well. That's how this show came about. And if more people do stuff like that, Jeff can make more shows. So with that in mind, Jeff, let's plug your shows. Let's start with the ones you make that get you money direct, and then all the billion other multiverses you're in as well. Okay, so if you are listening to this on the Patreon, thank you so much. I appreciate your money so much more than the people listening for free. But if you're listening for free, oh, I love you too. Head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff May, where you can hear shows like Jeff Has Cool Friends, which is my long-form interview podcast. You get early access to uncensored episodes with bonus content, and that's just good. Everybody likes that. You can also get access, of course, to Nerd. You can get that here, but it drops for free everywhere as well. Good for us. How great are we? And then from there, you can also hear Ugg Fine with Kim Crawl. That's my monthly show. We also have You Don't Even Like Sports and Unpopular Opinion, both on the Unpops Network. And you can also hear Tom and Jeff watch Batman. And that is on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. Our first, my first Jeff Has Cool Friends, I started March 23rd was when I started the Patreon. My first episode of Jeff Has Cool Friends, April 6th. So we're going to use April as our that's going to be our two-year anniversary shift. And again, it's just going to be some streamlining stuff. I'm going to add new tiers. Now that we've been doing more things, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, The pack-breaking stuff, Adam and I talked about this when we were, we text back and forth about the doing the trading card things. And we both agree. If I could get a full-time job just doing this, I would do it. It's so fun. I love doing that. The nostalgia of the pack-breaking stuff, the talking about it, doing it next to my like my best friend like that's so fun i love doing those things obviously i'll be able to do them alone as well especially when it's stuff that's more oriented towards my interests that adam doesn't give a shit about but hack breaking stuff that's even like one-off but if you do record like in the podcast studio in the unpops podcast studio with like your guests your cool friends breaking packs there's all sorts you can do there one hope on like the patreon tiers you and adam have both discussed this you mentioned is being able to send out like the pack the cards you get, because cards are luckily small and cheap. You can send an envelope, you know, less than a couple bucks. So if someone pays you 30 bucks a month or more on a Patreon tier, and you want to send them a card, that's worth the money. On your inaugural pack breaking with Adam Todd Brown on the OmPops Network, you un unleashed, I believe, a Penny Hardaway rookie card. And so if you open that tier up... That and Anthony that Hardaway on, rookie card, yeah. yeah. That's on the docket. Like if there are preferences, yeah. I might request that. At that so time. maybe I could add the, I could make it a thing that says you get the blank rookie card. Whereas if you sign up for that tier, I will send you that rookie card signed or unsigned by me. That seems <laughs> like it would be fun. Oh my God. That you get the blank rookie card because you've had that joke for forever. You have an amazing Don West like impersonation. RIP. To I Don love West. that Jeff. Yeah, Which, yeah. by the way, I do have the Don West rookie card. That's we're getting that. You're, Don you're getting West. Ben Edlund levels of meta here for the show, Jeff. 
And then, uh, yeah, I'll definitely shout out. I was your second Patreon subscriber. I'm very proud of that. And because of a typo, it showed up as number one when I got it. I think I've that in the photos. Oh, hell yeah. Yeehaw. Yeah, that would be a great, that would be really fun that you get the rookie card. And then as long as you have enough, I mean, basically, if you can batch it at the end of the month, you do this. Yeah, Love the it. smart thing would be that I would or I would only have a certain number of the tiers on well, that def- one. Definitely, you can't have more than five or 10 and make it actually make money. Sorry, we're getting the weeds. This might make the cut, future editor Dre. All right, I'll finish myself off. Thanks for going <laughs> along on this, Jeff. You can find me on Twitter while it still exists and Instagram as Nerd Numbers. And I also discussed that on another podcast, the Box Score Geek Show with Brian Foster, which goes every other, usually we record on Tuesday and released on Thursday. Last week, that did not go out on time because we had to wait for the NBA to stop moving because half the damn league got traded on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, we are recording on the precipice of the trade deadline, if you want to peek, because it's today, right? As of recording, the trade deadline was like 3 p.m. today. The trade deadline hit about an So I can actually go look and see where all yeah. the chips fell. The trade order you want to stop this episode. You got some chips to ch- you got some blue chips to count blue chips. That's it's a good movie. There's um, so much fun about that. But yeah, anyway, that, we're, Dre we're, is wait. great. Dre, you you are. I love that you are the other side of my nerd coin. Everybody, you should follow nerd numbers at nerd numbers on social media. The last thing I want to say is if you want to see me live, obviously, the second Friday of every month, Blast from the Past, we have Mint on Card on Magnolia in Burbank, California. That's a great live show. I am also, as of the ep- this episode dropping, about to head to New England. I have one show. That's I only do one show in, in New England when I go home. It's at Redemption Rock Brewery. You can it's on Wednesday, February 22nd. You can have access to those. I try to keep the tickets nice and cheap, but I make it so that I can pay all of the comedians I have on the show fairly and better than most do. I it's my proof that independent comedy shows can work and that they can make money. Wednesday, the 22nd, Redemption Rock Brewery, Worcester, Massachusetts. Jeff Mike. Love it. All right. We will see you next time for another episode of Nerd. Bye. 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 All right. We'll be back next month. That'll be March 16th with the start of season three of Nerd with the theme of card games starting almost assuredly with the Star Wars customizable card game. Can you tell we're kids of the 90s? Keep your eyes peeled at patreon.com forward slash Jeff May if you want possible input on the direction of this show. And as you probably heard, if you're a fan of cards, especially rookie cards, you'll really want to be on the lookout towards the start of April. Hmm. Finally, we've been slowly building the Hey There Jeffro, that's spelled J-E-F-F-R-O, YouTube channel, and some of the comics Jeff showed today will definitely make it on there, and his Not a Fan Theory fan theory for Ewoks The Battle for Endor is up there right now. Thanks so much, you wonderful nerds. We'll see you next time.